Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, hello, hello there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Of course, I am your host, Sam Wiles, and remember, this is widescreen podcasting. This is widescreen podcasting. As always, thank you all for tuning in, and I hope you're all well, safe, and sound. Today, we're going to be picking up on our journey through Paul McCartney's videography. Yes, it's time for more music videos, folks. Uh, We've been going through chronologically so far, giving two cents on all of these visual marvels, and they truly are marvels, folks. McCartney's one of the kings of the format, and each video, good or bad, is always a fascinating discussion. On our last episode, we covered the early 80s period, which was everything from Wonderful Christmas Time in 79 up to So Bad in 83. And today, we're going to be finishing off all of Macca's visual media from this awkward decade up until, but not including, the Flowers in the Dirt stuff and the release of the My Brave Face video. That will all be next time. Though, if you can't whip up the entire videography between 83 and 89 off the top of your head, let me refresh your memory. We're going to be covering No More Lonely Nights, the playout version. No More Lonely Nights, the disco version. We All Stand Together, Spies Like Us, both versions. Press, Stranglehold, Pretty Little Head, Only Love Remains, and Once Upon a Long Ago. As always, I'm not going to be on my own. Rather splendidly, this is another one of these side series where I have another regular co-chair with me. Of course, I'm going to be joined by the incredibly knowledgeable and charming Ed Chen, and I was just so happy to have him back on, not only because he smashed it last time, go back and check out part four if you haven't already, but also because Ed is the perfect counterpoint to my snarky, snide, borderline millennial, 20-something perspective, as Ed really is a patron of music videos. This is an art form that he really digs. And in all fairness, Ed is able to lend an expertise that I just don't have because he was actually from a time when music videos were actually a relevant part of the pop culture zeitgeist, as difficult as a thing that is to believe. But yeah, we love Ed here on Paul or Nothing, folks. And also, just at the start of our little pre-topic chit-chat, me and Ed are going to be spending a little bit of time talking about his own podcast, the excellent When They Was Fab podcast. And we're going to go into all of the hoopla and controversy and fracas surrounding that show and what's happening moving forward with it. As a podcaster myself and as a fan of podcasting in particular, it was very interesting stuff. So do stick around for that. But before we do any of that fun stuff, we must crack on with the housekeeping. What do we have in terms of news for today, folks? Well, firstly, we've had the release of the Hulu exclusive, well, soon to be not exclusive, series McCartney 321, where Paul, along with Titanic music producer Rick Rubin, go through selections from both the Beatles and solo McCartney back catalogue and break them down in terms of songwriting, production and the stories behind them. And I have been able to watch it. I recently completed it last night and I'm very jazzed. Though some of you may now be wondering how I was able to watch it because one of the big controversies that mattered to me as a Brit was the fact that initially this show was only going to be available in the US due to Hulu being a US only service. Fortunately, I reached out to you, the fantabulous listeners of this podcast, and 
I totally wasn't provided with several rips from at least 5 to 12 different sources that allow me to watch the whole show very easily. Uh, I repeat, that did not happen, wing wing. Uh, you know, yet somehow, I don't know how it was, maybe there was a glitch or something, but yeah, I was able to watch the whole show, and whilst I'm not going to go into full detail now, as I'll be doing a full episode on it later, all I'm going to say right here is that it was delightful comfort food for any and all McCartney fans. It was like having your very own grand dude tell you your favourite bedtime stories, and I highly recommend you all go out and watch it. Maybe use one of those fancy VPN thingies, I don't know. Yeah, massive thumbs up from me so far though, folks. In other news, thankfully for other law-abiding Brits, McCartney 321 will now be made available on Disney Plus here in the UK on the 25th of August 2021. And, you know, with the time it's taken me to get episodes out, when I when it comes time for me to actually record my McCartney 321 episode, I'll probably just be able to say that I watched it on Disney Plus and get away with it. Moving on, we've also had the announcement that we've got another release of McCartney 3 Imagined or McCartney 3 Reimagined. What is it this time? Well, it's the same unique cover art with a kind of trippy dice on it, but this time it's a purple vinyl. Bam, bam, bam. Yes, I think this is the, the 10th or the 11th release for 3 Imagined now, or at least the 10th vinyl one specifically. I know there's the CD and the cassettes and stuff. But yeah, it's a it's a very dark purple, very sexy in the way that all the other stuff is. If you haven't ordered it already, I guess, you know, this is the perfect time to grab one. I guess this is the kind of release that they put out there for all the people that wanted an exclusive one but didn't get it the first time around. So, hey, if you didn't get the gold one like me, maybe you want to grab this one. Um, speaking of my gold edition, this is being recorded the day before 3 Imagined is due to be released, and you can bet your ass I'm expecting it to arrive here bang on time, because you know you will want to hear my thoughts on this Idris Elba song. I've got to listen to it. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. Then, as per tradition, folks, at the time of recording this segment, Paul posted a very cryptic post on his Twitter slash Instagram, and the rumour mill was set into full swing. The post promised, and I quote, Paul like you've never seen him before. And there was a short 20 second video of various clips of Paul set against the music of Temporary Secretary. Of course, we knew it was going to be something visual, but that was it. And from then on, imaginations were inflamed. Anything to do with Temporary Secretary was always going to go down well with me. And then uh, I posted on the Twitter just to see what you thought it might be. And one of you got back to me that it might be an AI slash CGI kind of deal, which was kind of intriguing. I didn't know what that kind of fully meant. Then I went onto Paul McCartney's YouTube page and discovered that the link was already there waiting for me the whole time. The video, as it appears to me now at the time of recording, is a video for Beck's cover of Find My Way from McCartney 3 Imagined or 3 Reimagined. With the thumbnail and the thumbnail image makes it quite clear that the one rumor that got that the rumor I just meant, and the thumbnail image proves that the rumor that got to me was pretty spot on. <laughs> it's quite obvious that this video is going to be using the new deepfake technology, whereby they're going to use modern trickery to put uh, a CGI Macca head onto someone else's body and make it look perfect. 
Now, folks, I really am excited for this video. I love a good deep fake. I think it's a lovely gimmick and it still shows that Paul is at the forefront of music video tech and artistry. And I can't wait to dissect it and overthink about it all. But in order for me to have a social life and finally get this episode out, I'm not going to wait until the 5 p.m. premiere today and then write a review and then insert it into this episode. Instead, I'm just going to include it in the McCartney 3 summary episode where I'll also be talking about Dominic Fike's video for The Kiss of Venus that I know I haven't covered yet either. But yeah, let me know what you thought of the music video for Beck's Find My Way for the next episode, folks. You know, in the for you people out there in the future, I'd love to hear what you think about it. I hope it goes down really well. I really do. I, I hope there's not a creepy uncanny valley with with this one but yeah call me excited folks and with the news out of the way it's time to crack on with the plugs to get in contact with the show email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com i always love reading out your correspondence here on the show i always want to hear your mccartney stories your mccartney trivia your mccartney factoids what is your unique mccartney experience I, I i definitely want to hear it you know is there something on the show that you want to query something that i've said something you want to challenge is there an album that we're looking at in the future that you want to give me your thoughts on. I'd love to hear someone's thoughts on Off The Ground going into the, to, to, to that album, especially since I have now actually recorded part two of Off The Ground, my chat with Ken. That is coming out soon, folks. I know some of you have been wanting that one for a while. It is happening, don't worry. But uh, yeah, for all other inquiries, drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Follow us on our Twitter for daily updates and silly polls, that kind of thing, at McCartneyPod. Follow the sister blog, which is paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com for some extra Paul or Nothing written content. Follow us on all of the socials, which is Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Of course, our YouTube page is the only place you can watch new episodes of Macca in Your Attic every Saturday. Macca in Your Attic, of course, is the sister show to Paul or Nothing. I've been going on about it enough, I'm sure, as you all know. But yeah, it's a show where me and a guest, many of whom who have been on the show, but some who haven't, they take me through their attic and show me their junk, aka five interesting, unique, or sentimental items from their Paul McCartney slash Beatle collections. There are five episodes out now publicly available on YouTube, with the latest two episodes featuring guest appearances from Mr. Andy Nichols from the Two Legs podcast, as well as Mr. Chip Madinger, the author of The Indomitable Eight Arms to Hold You. And there are at least another like 10 or so available exclusively on the Patreon, but more on that in just a moment. If you want to help out the show right now in a way that takes less than 30 seconds, please leave us a review on whatever platform you are on, whether it's giving us however many stars out of five and writing a little nice comment or giving us a thumbs up, something like that, a heart, whatever. It's always appreciated and gives us the mathematical advantage in all those complex, unknowable algorithms. But yeah, it always helps out the show. It's much appreciated, folks. Though, if that's not enough, if you want to help out the show directly, if you want to help us grow, if you want to help see the show expand, help us with new projects, new equipment, if or, you know maybe you want to help keep the lights running, then please check out our Patreon page and become one of the wonderful members of our patron family. Of course, Patreon, as I'm sure you know, folks, is a platform whereby you, the public, can support independent content creators such as myself by throwing a couple of bucks at my face down the internet every month. 
Though it isn't just a GoFundMe or anything like that, you do get your money's worth, folks. You get early access to episodes of Paul or Nothing. You get early access to episodes of Macca in Your Attic, as well as access to the Paul or Nothing video feed, full scripts that I use for the episodes, bonus episodes, lost episodes, lost raw audio, and much, much more. Now, we do have one massive shout-out this week for one of our longest-running patrons, actually. One, Cheryl McCoy. You probably heard her name before. But she has decided to put her money where her mouth is. And But she's now decided to put her money where her mouth is and join the very top tier of our patrons. She's now very kindly donating $20 a month here to Paul or Nothing. And thank you so much for that, Cheryl. It's a, it's a pretty unfathomable gesture. It's... You know, appreciation is hardly the term. Um, it's always really embarrassing accepting. <laughs> it's always it's always terribly bashful, this kind of situation. But I really do just want to take a moment to thank you for that, uh, for thinking the show is good enough and wanting to support it in, in such a bold fashion. Thank you so much, Cheryl. And of course, it is not just Cheryl. I want to give a huge shout out to the rest of my Patreon family, starting with... Richard Campbell, Kim, Christopher Newman, Mrs. P, Broderick Harper, Moti Ryber, Robert Shuley, Christian Perry, Richard Driver, who we had on the last episode, <coughs> conflict of interest, uh, Chris Atkinson, Richard Binnington, Mr. B, Teresa Brader, Stephanie Miller, Lou DiLonardo, Cheryl McCoy, Katrina S, Sam Hode, Anastasia L, Robert Carabelli, Warren Butson, and Matt Phillips. Right, folks. Let's cut to the live feed because me and Ed have got a lot to crack on with. One, two, three, let's go. And now, everyone, it is time for me to bring on today's guest. And you already should know him by now, as he was here with us for the last session of music videos to lend us his invaluable expertise on the subject. Go and check out the episode if you haven't already. Many, many years ago, it seems. Definitely. <laughs> it's been far too long. And he's the second person now on the show to gain a permanent co-chair on one of our many side series here at Paul or Nothing. And aside from that terribly dull accolade, he's also the creator and main host of the truly excellent Indomitable When They Was Fab podcast. Everyone, please welcome back to the show, Ed Chen. Ed, how are you doing, my friend? Oh, not too terribly bad. It's 2021. <laughs> You're surviving, yeah? You're surviving. Yeah, well, 2021 seems at least a little bit better than 2020 was, except for, well, what we're about to get into. Uh, I mean, you know, it couldn't get much worse, as Lennon once said. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, but, you know, we're coming out of COVID. Uh, when They Was Fab is back. Uh, I have a new co-host now, uh, Mr. John Stone. Yeah, let's, let, let's get into When They Was Fab, because... Yours is a podcast that I've 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 always listened to. I've always been excited to see it on my feed every week. And there was a period where nothing was happening with the show, and I was very concerned. And then you came back. You popped back. Um, I'm I'm going to give you the floor here, Ed, because I know that there's a lot to explain here. And I'd like to give you the the proper forum, the proper channel, just to clear the air and let everyone know what's been happening with the show and what they can expect from one one of the very best podcasts out there so what's been happening dude well so the show had ran for oh uh, almost five years uh, with 
uh, you know, growing listenership and everybody seemed reasonably happy with it. The, the, even the podcast provider was like, Oh, you're doing a good job. You're getting so many downloads. We're, we're happy to see it. Do you want to monetize? And it's like, I always said, no, no, thank you. You know, because I knew we were walking at least a little bit of a line Mm -hmm. because as you well know, (laughs) there is no legal way to include any music, even two or three seconds worth within a podcast. I I didn't know that, no, and I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear that. But, no, uh, no, no. ¿Qué pasa? But, no, I mean, uh, I don't understand, señor. No. <laughs> but, Carry yeah, on. Go on. anyway, so, so, and that is one of my big complaints here is, like, YouTube has at least kind of figured it out. Yeah, in the sense that you can't be, you can't gain money, but you don't lose money or standing either. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, the Beatles themselves have chosen to opt out of the YouTube monetization scheme. Right. But, <laughs> but the, the solo stuff is in there. Okay. So, you know, if you, if you go and look at YouTube videos for, like, something which includes a clip from George Harrison or somewhere in England, you'll see this comes off of the George Harrison album and is covered by... RIAA under blah 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 and you know it gives you everything and it's like okay you're not going to make any money off of this but here you go mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, if you do put advertising that money goes back to the artists which is you know fine I'm happy with that but no such beast exists for podcasts so what was the the straw that broke the camel's back then was it a particular episode that you were using too much beetle content in like what 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 was the red flag that brought the man down upon uh, as far as i can tell someone just randomly reported us someone grasped you in that's worse that that is the worst part of this story so far who who would he come on everyone everyone who listens to any of our shows know that we're, we're all part of the game we're all fans here none of us being any harm we're all trying to if anything, create more furore and hype and uh, interest in these people, in this music. So the idea that someone would report you is suspicious to me. I'm suspicious, ladies and gentlemen. That's all I'm going to say. Well, I, I have I have a suspicion, but I have nothing to back it up, so I'm not going to mention it. Wild claims are what Paul or nothing was built on Ed, but I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to make you say it publicly. But I will say there. There is. There is one or two podcasts out there who are uh, much more blatant than we were about their use of uh, copyrighted music within the show. No, I'd say not more blatant, but they they are much more downloaded and much more popular and well known. And the fact that I don't mean to call you one of the less popular than, than other shows but there are other Beatle podcasts that are just objectively uh more present in the zeitgeist and they use Beatle music to to a ridiculous extent and there are no flags against their channels and against their podcasts so it makes you wonder who's profiting it, here you know indeed and and you know you mentioned that but well before the issue with the takedown notices, we were reasonably large. We were, you know, within the top five or six 
Beatle podcasts out there mm-hmm. in terms of downloads and, you know, being weekly helps. Oh, I, I imagine so. Like, uh, it's it, it's always annoying when you have to compare, like, a podcast that does a song-by-song song, uh, look at an artist versus a podcast that does an album-by-album album look at an artist because uh, it's, it's not exactly a fair metric, but, you know... Uh, you know, podcasts like another kind of mine have shown that quantity over quality can also work as well, I suppose. So you, you can argue it any which way, I suppose. So, yeah, it was, I guess, the first or second week of March, right around my birthday, you know, happy birthday to me, uh, that uh, that our feed just sort of went down. It's like, wait, wait, what's going on? No email first or anything? No email first or anything. About about a day later, an email came and it's like, we've got we've got a we got a strike against you. Hold on, and it's like okay. Then a second email came with the the following enclosed from our good friends at the uh, RIAA, the Recording Industry Association of America, <laughs> and it reads in part: We have learned that your service is operating and or hosting the below-referenced infringing website or sites on its network. These sites are offering files containing sound recordings which are owned by one or more of our member companies and have not been authorized for this kind of use, including, without limitation, those referenced URLs below. We have a good faith belief that this activity is not authorized by the copyright owner, its agent, or the law. We assert that the information in this notification is accurate based upon the data available to us. We are asking for your immediate assistance, me meaning the podcast provider, in stopping this unauthorized activity. Now, that's a bit much, don't you think? It's just a Beatles podcast, dude. Like, come on, <laughs> we're just we're just we're just talking about flaming pie, you know? Exactly. Uh, archive re-releases. You know, we're not exactly doing a world of damage, and it seems like it's it, it's really an unfair accusation because look at the end of the day the internet is so ubiquitous and so far-reaching and its grasp and its tendrils are so deep within every foundation of media that are you trying to tell me that the only way you can buy a Beatles song or get access to a Beatles track is by legally buying it in HMV in a real shop like no I come on like Every single, like, there are free websites that download YouTube clips. There's nothing that tells you it's illegal. There's nothing that tells you that you can't put it in your podcast. And then the podcast server puts it up. They accept it. There's no, you know, uh, gripe either way. And it seems awfully unfair that other people get to do the exact same thing and you don't. Uh, whether it's in podcasting or other fields. Quite speechless, really. One of the biggest low-key controversies of Beatles podcasting of the past few years, I think, because how many episodes had you got up before you had to take the whole thing down? Oh, well, let's see, five years, you know, uh, an episode a week. So we're talking about close to 300 episodes. Fucking hell. And I know there are people on the YouTube channel that are upset that I use swear words, but 
you've got to be a real cunt to uh, uh, report when there was fab. You really do. You've really got to be the worst kind of fucking asshole out there. Well, and and you that's know, that, no, that's no. not the that's not the only thing. Now, now here here is where I will bring in the uh, provider for for them being uh, cunts a little bit. Go on, go on. So, so officially, they uh, their policy is first strike we take you down for three days. Mm-hmm. Second strike we take you down for uh, ten days. Third strike we take you down for three weeks. All right. And then fourth strike, we, we ban you forever, although that, that doesn't seem to be uh, the way they're actually proceeding. So during that three-day interim, I received two more notices from the RIAA within the first three days. So it, it automatically went from a three-day strike again, where the feed was down to a month-long strike without any chance for telling anybody anything so this this feels like someone's physically now going through your vid through your videography you know physically listening to stuff and flagging stuff with the little flag button on youtube next to the like and dislike you know so so during the during the time that the feed was down it's like what do i need to do it's like okay you need to take everything out of your feed which i did you know i removed everything from the feed but I did not delete it off of their servers. You know, I, I, kept, I kept the archive copies. It is inaccessible to anybody except me. Yeah, like you, you, you made everything unlisted, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Unlisted and not publicly available. Mm-hmm. So they actually hit me with a fourth strike after I took everything down. You know, made, oh, it, made it inaccessible to the public. Now, 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 now they said, oh, well, uh, what you need to do is you need to... Uh, delete everything out of your out of our discs off of your feed and we'll remove that fourth strike so sorry is is jeff bezos after you right now this is like this is some big brother shit going on now like who who have you pissed off here you need, you, you need to delete it off google's private server <laughs> Right. That, okay. That's why okay. I said that, you know, okay. it should have been sufficient to just make it not publicly available. And I want to know who, who submitted the strike after the feed was already down. Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure, like, you know, like, whoever uploads Revolution Take 20 to YouTube every two weeks, like, I'm not sure he's asked to, like, delete it. I'm sure he's just asked to unlist it, and then he makes it publicly available after a few weeks every time. This this draconian measure against Beatle podcasting, uh, you know, I don't like to get political here on the show. I don't like to get riled up. I don't. I don't mean to be, you know, one of those shock jock pundits or anything. But this is a bit OTT. Like, well, on, yeah, I I on. would tend to agree, and uh, you know, basically by that point, uh, Lonnie Pena had. Had enough. Now he also had other things going on in his real life. That so you know he just said, "Look, sorry, dude, I'm bouncing. I'm bouncing." And, what- and you know that that's all right. I mean, I I, I don't blame him, and uh, he does have a lot of other things going on in his life, and and it has been as has been pointed out, 300 episodes means that people don't have a good way to start with the show. Mm. 
So, you know, we, we now have a, a good, clean introduction point as time is available, which, you know, we got time, but I don't know how much time I have. I am going back and, you know, re-editing old episodes and putting them up as classic episodes of Fab. Classic episodes. I'm sure that includes the the really awful episode that I was a part of where... Well, it, it's uh, <laughs> not back up yet, but perhaps by the time this goes out, it will be. That's funny. <laughs> no, like... The idea of going back and re-editing old podcast episodes is something that I've even thought of as well, because I'm not particularly proud of the first, say, 10 episodes of this show. I feel like it's kind of at a point where, you know, pre before the the show kind of became what it was. Um, So I don't decry you for that. I'm actually excited to hear what these uh, newly edited classic episodes of when they were fab sound like. Well, they're not, you know, they're not that different. It's... uh... Well, let's let's remove anything that's sort of vaguely infringing. Although, you know, I do still include clips from interviews and things. And theoretically, well, we won't go there, but uh, the, the copyright on those is owned by other organizations. Yes. No, uh, as, as long as, you know, I've got my 23 Patreon fans who want to listen to the show and can pay me no matter what copyright infringement i go through i should be able to sustain myself financially uh, <laughs> yeah i think it's really the r only the riaa that cares to any great extent mm. it does come to a point though where you want to say look what harm are we actually doing to the music industry here and yeah we are biased because we could potentially if this kind of shit becomes joe rogan successful that we could make an actual career off it and not and not have to but it's work. not gonna happen we you, you know, know we could exactly, conceivably yeah. we could consider you know it's like i was saying about monetizing we could conceivably make a little bit of money off of it but at most it's only ever gonna be change change it's gonna be oh great you know this pays for everything to do with the podcast and maybe pays for my ticket to go see yesterday not that i'm going to the theater to see yesterday again anytime soon Literally, my Patreon did pay for me to go see yesterday, but like, just like stuff like, oh, cool, I get to buy a vinyl version of Three Imagined, something like that, maybe, rather than just, I don't buy any hard copy stuff. Well, some, someone's got to pay for my Uber box of uh, All Things Must Pass, and yes, I really did buy it. You've, you've actually bought that then? Tell me. I bought the, yeah. Talk me through the thought process there. A... It, the the two books are only available in the Uber box, and B the gnomes were just too adorable to uh, to pass up. And then there's a C. It that's something that's going to have some resale value. I did say you this know, if, on a, a recent episode of Mac here in your attic, but I'd I'd kind of like something cast in solid iron for McCartney because I I would agree. Yeah. Uh, you know, but you compare it to the. Almost comparably priced, and it actually is comparably priced because there was a while before they uh, stopped letting you use the twenty-five percent off coupon on the Uber box. So I got—I actually got it for twenty-five percent off. Wow, that's that's a lot which of is money. a nice chunk of you know, <laughs> given given the list price, that works out to a nice chunk of change. Oh my god, that's like <laughs> for about the first eighteen hours it was up. They. They they had they realized that uh, 
or they didn't realize that people could use this coupon on it. I love that. I love, I love, I love the idea of short of a short changing a beetle. That's really funny. Um, well, I, again, uh, how much did it cost them to cut down that tree? Yeah. I also think it is, it is, it is kind of cool that I'm going to have a piece of Friar Park. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, as as someone who is addicted to uh, watching the All Things Must Pass documentary by uh, Scorsese, the idea of owning some of Friar Park is it's 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 a trip. It's pretty out there, actually. Um, so you, you are going to be very lucky there, indeed. Um, it's extravagant. It's unnecessary. But you know, if you're not broke, and even if you are broke, there's the fact that, like I say, much like the McCartney seventy-two to seventy-four box. It will have resale value. I, I'm confident of that. Interesting. And I've never even thought about uh, prestige Beatle vinyl stuff in terms of resale value because I kind of only think about it in terms of will this be valuable for the person I leave this to because uh, I never plan on personally reselling it. I don't either, but it's always nice to know. And I mean, I have been tempted once or twice on my vinyl mono box set because you know those are ridiculously priced now. Oh, mono! I haven't even gotten into mono stuff, whether it's Beatle or, or, or McCartney. Uh, yeah, the the reissue, the two thousand nine reissue of the albums in mono on vinyl. That box was fairly limited and is now well. The retail price at the time was a couple hundred bucks. Is now worth more than ten times that. That's what I like to hear. I am definitely, for the rest of my waking existence, going to be pursuing a mono version of Ram. I just, I just need one. I just, I can't have it. You gonna have a real one, or you, or you want? You're gonna be happy enough with the uh, bootleg one. Depends how cheap the bootleg one is, I suppose. Uh, well, those those are out there for free. For free, you can download those. Oh well, no, no, no. I, w- I want, I want a physical. You want a physical copy? Okay. Uh, yeah, there there are physical copies that you can obtain for reasonably cheap as well, like under twenty bucks. Oh, U.S. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, there we have forty-five dollar uh, <laughs> shipping cost or something like that. That normally is. There's always a catch somewhere. At the end of the line. But, Ed, come on. Let's get on to the reason why I brought you here today. Because All you, right. You... All right. We're, we're talking about McCartney videos. And this is a tremendous era for McCartney videos. Tremendous, you'd say. I'd, I'd kind of call it awkward or awkward, awkward. Awkward is not a terrible description. But I would still say it's tremendous because there's a lot of really great videos in what we're going to talk about. Oh, no, I'm not going to say I have not enjoyed the stuff we've been researching for this episode, but it's not got the same kind of uh, momentum and runaway natural effortless success that the late 70s, even early 80s period had. Uh, You know, we're going to be we're going to be doing kind of mid to late 80s here today. And 
I've always thought of this as the worst period for Paul McCartney's image. I just feel like this- commercially and public recognition, you are absolutely correct. But the videos themselves, you know, there's there's a couple that I just love out of this set. All right, we're not gonna we're not we're not gonna tease the people for uh, too long. But but yeah, no. Uh, uh, on another show, someone said that. Uh, Basically, 1984 to 1990 was not good for any of the 60s classic rock stars. You look at how Clapton was dressing and acting in that era. Ooh, almost as bad as he is these days. We are not even going to attempt to talk about McCartney's fashion sense during this period because... Well, we're going to have to get into it briefly here. Oh, (laughs) but... All right. Yeah, the, the the stuff that's live that he's actually wearing, we can't even try and pretend that it's costume, but we will uh, come across that shortly. Starting us off, we have a song that is here to promote a film whose name sends shivers down the collective spines of all Beatles podcasters. Which- not me, not me. <laughs> I defend. I defend the film. I don't love it, but I'll defend it. That film is, of course, 1984's Give More Regards to Broad Street. And the song we are discussing is No More Lonely Nights. I can wait another day Until I call you You've only got my heart on a string And everything a flutter But another lonely night Might take forever We've only got each other to blame It's all the same to me, love Cause I know what I feel of this short film was Keith McMillan and that's a name you should be familiar with by now because of course that is the famous Keith he has directed the majority of the late 70s early 80s music videos most notably coming up which was their final collaboration before this this was actually their last one at all Um, I'm glad we're starting off with a reasonably successful song here and a pretty successful video because this reached number 6 in the US and number 2 in the UK and it continued what success the Broad Street movie was able to generate. But I think it was actually probably more successful than the Broad Street movie. The video or the song, sorry. The video well, the video. This clip. This three minute something clip is more would you, well, it's more consistent than the movie, I'll give you that. Well that's for sure. But uh, but I mean you know, having lived through that era this video was showing up on MTV. It was showing up on uh, Friday Night Videos, which was the network 1230 show after Carson at the time. Uh, and, you know, every week, you know, well, they had a ridiculously large Broad Street push, uh, which then went away just as quickly. But uh, people, maybe you can even find it on YouTube. There was even like a, a clip where, Paul and Julian hung out 
during some Broad Street promotion, which was actually kind of embarrassing. Oh, wow. I've never seen that. I'm sure that will appear on YouTube or Vimeo somewhere shortly. I couldn't, I, I couldn't imagine something being even more cringeworthy from the uh, Broad Street era, but I guess, I guess that makes sense. What do, you, what do you think of No More Lonely Nights as a song, though? Is, is, is this a favourite single of the 80s for you? I like it. Yeah, no, you know, with that guitar part and Paul's vocal is at its best. No, it's it's a really good, it's not A1 McCartney, but it's at least, uh, you know, I'd give it an A or an A minus. I think it's a good, solid single. I've got to disagree with you there. Before we do get into the meat of the video, I do need to say that my best friend, Danny, uh, this is actually his favourite solo McCartney song ever. And yet, despite him playing it in his car several times for me as he's driven me to various places across the UK, I've never developed any sentiment for the song <laughs> whatsoever. And I, I never thought I could be so unmoved by a Dave Gilmore guitar solo, and yet the song proves that despite that. So that's quite interesting for me. But yeah. Uh, this video is Caesar's Paul making a, a, a cup of tea on the roof and singing the No More Lonely Night song to himself for some reason. And whilst he does so, we cut to several shots from the movie, cutting back and forth between Paul and he's on the roof. And then, then there's some fireworks and it's all a big for all. Lots of footage from the movie. We get to see lots of the Eleanor's dream sequence it's all very been there, done that. We get to see the Neon Man from the front cover of the album. And that image actually makes a lot more sense from that album cover when you watch this music video, which I thought was quite an interesting concept. Like, you won't get the album cover until you watch the music video, which feels like a very MTV idea. You know what I mean? Uh, oh, absolutely. Um, the... One of the things about this clip is, as you note, you know, it starts with a little, you know, maybe 30, 45 second intro. And that was the, all the rage in music video at the time. And McCartney himself does it again shortly, as we'll see. Oh, yeah. I mean, how long is, <laughs> I mean, Thriller's like 14 minutes and it's like about eight minutes till the moot till the freaking song kicks in. But yeah, but MTV <laughs> would frequently cut off the head and tail of these clips, and so it would just sort of start uh, in media res. You know, uh, you would typically you typically wouldn't ever see the cat and the mouse and Paul on the phone. You know, it would just sort of come up on MTV with Paul whistling as he goes up on the stairs. Well, I mean, something we should bring up right now, Ed, is that there are more variations of these music videos then we're ever really going to be able to address because every individual territory will uh, chop and edit a product individually for its own syndication and you know acts like McCartney do get broadcast worldwide and there'll be innumerable different edits of these videos but you are right one of the most common uh, unique edits amongst all of these videos is the first 30 seconds will just be cut off uh, we'll, we'll actually see that with the last song we're going to talk about here today, which is quite interesting. But yeah, 
Oh, overall, what what do you what do you think of the No More Lonely Nights music video? Do you think it's successful? Do you, do you think it's more entertaining than the than the Broad Street movie? Uh, it is probably more entertaining than the Broad Street movie, uh, and that's again from someone who doesn't hate Broad Street. Uh, <laughs> you know, Paul does a reasonable enough job acting such as it is up on the roof. And he actually manages to look reasonably cool in that uh, that blue Hawaiian shirt and the leather jacket. <laughs> no, uh, you're wrong there, Ed. You're, you are <laughs> entirely wrong. He, he looks like, you know when you've got a kid at school who's got his mom to dress him up in what she thinks <laughs> is, the, is, the, is the cool attire of the era? Yeah. And the, and the fireworks behind him. The song itself isn't particularly cool. This is classic. Uh, Sam Walls thinks McCartney is acting like an uncool dad in the eighties <laughs> kind of aesthetic. I could, I could see that, and that's well. I mean, that's what he was. James was uh, what ten years old or so at the time, not quite ten, mm-hmm. and then the girls were you know mid to late teens. So that was the role he was taking on. No more lonely oh, nights. Dad. Because I'm going to be putting you to bed. That's why. Oh, my gosh. It's so unfathomable to think of Paul McCartney as being uncool because I'm very fortunate being a kind of slightly even post-millennial kid, I guess, like ever, ever, ever so slightly, in the sense that I came back into, like, I got into Paul McCartney once he became cool again because Ever since new, he's officially, according to the press, the media, the intelligentsia of rock and roll, he's been cool, regardless. Well, really, of success. you know, it was it was the anthology that made Paul reasonably cool again. Yes, but it, it definitely been building up from the nineties. But now mm-hmm. we are at a point where it's unquestionable, I guess. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, there, there still seems to be a lot of condescension. You know, uh, McCartney 321 is coming out this week. You read the reviews, they're all positive, but there still seems to be at least more than a little bit of condescension behind oh, like, the... It, it's good, but for an 80-year-old coot. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's good for a man who pisses himself. <laughs> oh, my God. It's good for a man who can't even contain his own bowels anymore. <laughs> I no, do, there's a couple. I, okay, I get no, no. I do get you there. Like uh, as 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 flippant as I'm being, you get that so much with Paul's voice. And I'm currently reviewing uh, his White House performance uh, for an episode I'm doing with Ranking the Beatles soon. And even back then, people were criticizing Paul's voice. I'm like, what are you talking about? He like. I know I'm biased, Ed, but I still think he sounds great today. But back in 2010, 2009, he sounded incredible and people were still complaining then. So I find it hard to even empathise on an accurate metric of criticism with McCartney, you know? Well, it's possible to criticise him at any point post-Beatles just about. You know, his voice was seemingly perfect during Wings Over America, but I can still hear the cigarettes in it. You know, I can hear the the rasp from the cigarettes yeah. that he was smoking at the time. So, you know, you can always complain. Oh, no, no. Nothing will ever be perfect unless John Lennon and George Harrison and Ringo Starr are 
it's not like he's ever done anything perfect since 1970 or anything like that, even though that's entirely what he has done. Now, now before we before you leave this video, there are a couple things I wanted to, to bring up. Uh, first off, reading through the material on it, when they filmed that, that warehouse was filled with top secret documents. So they were allowed on the roof of the building, but they could not go through it. That's interesting. <laughs> That's funny. I also thought it was quite interesting the choice of shots they they chose to advertise the film with. Like, I love thinking of editors in this, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, they 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 use a lot of the Eleanor's dream dream sequence, and that's towards the end of the film. And it is totally a non sequitur in terms of the official canon narrative of the movie. And they make it look like it's 90% of the movie. It's a very strange... Yeah, uh, it's that and it's the ballroom dancing clips you get. Yes, you do get a lot of ballroom dancing as well. And that makes up about 4 minutes, 38 seconds of the movie. So it would be like advertising Jaws as a movie about a police chief going about his everyday life. You know, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> that's not what this movie is. You know, it would, it would, it would be like saying deliverance is about canoeing. <laughs> okay. So, so the second thing, did they actually build that neon and put it on the building? It looks too good to be. It looks a lot better than some of, than some of George Dunbar's animation that we're going to be seeing today. So I'm inclined to believe it is real. Though, as we're going to find out, um, um, uh, computer-generated technology was even available during the Pretty Little Head music video. Well, uh, and that's my third point. This, this clip is actually one of the earliest uses of uh, Paintbox. Is that for the, the, the glowing blue man then, I take it? No, that is for the lights. In They had to go and paint out each of the lights in the building when the skyline goes out. Oh, okay. Oh, how, how interesting. Oh, that's fantastic. And paint box was in... I, the other place from that era that I see a bunch of paint boxes in Doctor Who. <laughs> 70s and 80s Doctor Who used paint box... A bunch. Why does Doctor Who keep coming back to this show time after time, episode after episode? That's oh, it's a, it's a thorn in my paw, to be sure. <laughs> well, but the, it's again, it's worth mentioning, and that's you know that clip. Like I like it, but I don't like it as much as the next one we're about to talk about. Yeah, that brings us on to our second video of the day and our first variant as well, a uh, little reference to the Loki series that I've been watching at the moment. Uh, no More Lonely Nights could not be contained by one video alone. And now here's the disco version. The play-out version, as it's referred to on the record, I believe. Every day. 
we are on to our first alternative video of the day, everyone. And it's quite exciting for me, actually, as it is such a relic of a past era. I mean, music videos are such a low commodity here in 2021 that you barely even get to do a second fucking take, let alone a second video. And for Paul to have the freedom to do this kind of thing is just fascinating to behold, really. And, you know, it is technically a different mix of the song, so why shouldn't it get its own music video? But, Ed, am I being cruel when I say that I totally understand why this particular video has been forgotten by the McCartney fandom canon? Like, there's a reason why you never see this one in circulation, right? Oh, I, I agree. It was, re it was released uh, on Laserdisc and VHS, but it never, as far as I know, made it to air. So, so it made it to Laserdisc, that widely available format that was in every household in the 80s, yeah? Yeah, well, I, I, I'm a Laserdisc guy, and you know... Oh, no, 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 Ed, Ed, if I can get a Laserdisc of Jurassic Park... You can just shoot me in the fucking head. I will, I will die a happy man if I can get a laser disc copy of Jurassic Park. I'll be I could probably make that happen, but... Uh... Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll pay for it as well. I'll fucking pay for it. Oh, no, don't do not do that to me, Ed. I, I need to focus on the playout slash disco version of No More Lonely Nights because... Do you remember, Ed, when a couple of months, a couple of years, a couple of decades ago, when we spoke about the music video for Tug of War? Not the album, the song, Tug of War. Yes, absolutely. And that video was mostly made up of pathetically recycled stock footage, if you remember. Mm -hmm. And 75% uh, of the shots in this music video is 75% stock footage. And as I learned from a recent Weird Al documentary... A lot of music videos for songs associated with movies are uh, calculated into the film's overall budget. So this is an overall cost-cutting measure. It's blatant. And knowing how much money McCartney had, had already spunked on the flop that was Broad Street, it, 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 it quite reasonably leads me to believe that McCartney was forced to reuse a very economical trick he learnt during the tug-of-war era and applied it to this video, Ed Respond. Well, it's not just the tug-of-war era. He's been doing it since 72. You go and you look at uh, the what's in the 72 to 74 box. You look at the videos that Paul was playing on the screen during Bruce McMouse. Gee, guess what you're going to find? Oh, like how like wildlife is just antelope footage from a David Attenborough documentary or something like that. There's that, and there's also lots of very similar, if not identical, you know, <laughs> natives dancing. Oh, the nat oh my god, like okay. So I love talking about stuff that's become problematic for Paul McCartney over the years. And like, you know, we all know that Paul's never gonna get on stage and go all right, all right, it's, it, it, you know, we're going to do the, the, the reggae thing. Like, he's, <laughs> he's, he's never going to do that again, and that's fine, because it's wrong. And even I shouldn't have done it then, Ed. I really shouldn't have. But something that's never... <laughs> something that's never coming back is Paul McCartney's use of stock footage of African tribal dancing, because... 
when I've when, when, whenever I see it, it just makes me think of you know the incredibly offensive 1933 version of King Kong. Yeah, yeah, that's all I think of. That's all I think of when I see this. And you know what? It would it would make sense if the majority of the stock footage was just people dancing. Like, oh, it's just world dancing. It's like. A Mondo Carne movie or something. It's just this it kind of exploitative globe trotting bond kind of thing. But then you get news footage, sports games, parades. Yeah, com- complete non sequiturs. Yeah, like look, look, I'm the kind of guy that likes to f- infuriate Ken Michaels by overthinking things. And even I couldn't find a link in any of this music video. It really is all over the place. And then you get to the other 25%, which is Paul at the run. <laughs> it's Paul. Paul, the man who... <laughs> I cannot imagine Paul McCartney really being a DJ. Paul at the roller disco with these dancers and the, there's this... But it's very Broad Street. Look at the... Look at the the silly love song. It fits right in with that. The choreography is so piss poor. Like I really do feel like Paul has just completely wasted his entire budget here. And he's like, right, I'm going to get a couple of kids from the local YMCA to dance with their roller skates. And then I'm just going to kind of hold a mic and... You know, Linda's going to have this ridiculous hair and stupid white dress, and it's going to look all right on the night. It doesn't matter. It's not the official music video anyway. Love Linda's big feathered hair. Very, you know, <laughs> post Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's very post Fleetwood Mac, definitely. Uh, <laughs> just... Yeah, by, by any objective standards, this is a terrible video but i still love it for all of those things no uh, loving for loving something mccartney for the reason that everyone hates something mccartney is something that i can i can totally empathize with though just before we move on ed we're going to see a lot of variants moving on forward here today and i just want to know your opinion is this a lack of confidence in macca's awkward decade or is this just a symptom of classic over 80s coked up overspending uh neither this was probably notes from somebody within the organization who's not mccartney you know it's like i've always said why exactly did they make that extra edit in the got my mindset on you video i liked it better when it was being clear that the dancer is not george you know he flops into the chair and we focus on him for a second and then it changes into george it's the same sort of thing. Yeah, obviously Paul had a, a new management around this time as well. And, you know, there are unsuccesses, shall we say. I don't want to say the word failures. I don't want to annoy the listeners. But there are things happening in Paul McCartney's career that are causing uncertainness in the camp. And driving rain is the only Paul McCartney thing that can be considered a complete and utter failure. I can't wait to get to that album because every single Paul McCartney album that I've encountered so far here on this podcast uh, that has been advertised as bad has been an album that I've deeply enjoyed. So, yeah. Although, ironically, the videos are not terrible. Well, most of the videos are not terrible. We'll, 
we'll get there when we get there in a year or so. For our next video, folks, I'm really having to cross a bridge, the Rubicon, as it were, as this is something I've had to push to the back of my mind because uh, I hoped it would never arrive. But here we are. And now it's time for us to discuss the first of today's animated spectaculars. From the world of Rupert the Bear, we have We All Stand Together, a.k.a. The Frog Song by Paul McCartney and the Frog Fucking Chorus. <laughs> Folks, before we begin, I do just want to point out that this will not be the be-all or end-all analysis of We All Stand Together as a song, as an animated film, or as a wider Rupert Bear project. That will be a later episode at a later date. But until that time, let me just say, Ed, I feel like I'm tripping on eggshells here because I'm normally able, as a very empathetic person, to kind of relate to the most lame, dorky, loserish facets of the Paul McCartney fandom. And one thing I've never been able to consistently be able to get into, no matter how hard I try, is the bloody frog song. Like, I lo I loathe this song. And I'm not going to be able to give it a fair shake. I'm not going to give this music video a fair chance. I'm going to slate it, even though it's objectively quite good. But before I go off on it, Ed, maybe you could convince me otherwise. What do you think of this? Do you find it riveting, or does it make you want to croak? Uh, oh, come on, come No, I... <laughs> I remember seeing it... Uh, seeing the Frog Song for the first time before Broad Street, and, you know, it actually was kind of interesting at... Uh, at that point in time now of course we here in the states knew nothing about rupert uh, did you grow up with rupert <laughs> yeah no i know so so okay i i was really hoping you would allow me to set this joke up there's a, quite a famous joke here in the uk why does rupert the bear wear a scarf why because he's a cunt uh, <laughs> Honestly, like I'm sorry, folks. That's the, the the second time I've used the worst swear word in American culture, but that is a very common playground year one, year two, year three, eight years, nine years old kind of playground joke. Rupert the Bear. It's something like the Railway Children, uh, maybe something like the Hardy Boys. 
for Americans out there? Like, some, 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 yeah, the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew. That's some of it. it. Although being animated, it's you know more in the Mickey Mouse kind of canon. Yeah, I'm just thinking like the era of like what like what generation would know this thing? Like, it's not like, like Rupert the Bear's not Steamboat Willie or anything like that. But it's also not the Powerpuff Girls either, you know. Yeah, it's you know, it's from from Paul's childhood through through the sixties, through the seventies as a big thing. Then it actually came back after the after McCartney uh, had the rights. Uh, there was an animated series which I actually quite enjoyed uh, from the eighties or so. Yeah, late eighties. Ed, are you surprised that McCartney hasn't spurred? I mean, look, we are in the the era of reboots and remakes and reimaginings. Like, if McCartney can get Netflix to make something about Wirral the Squirrel, why has there been nothing uh, Rupert the Bear-faced? Well, I, I don't know if he still owns all those rights or could collect them. That's interesting. That I mean, he owned, he owned the film rights, and mm-hmm. that ended up being the reason that he could create this short oh and instantly we haven't mentioned it the remastered 4k version did come out earlier this year and it looks tremendous and what was that on paul mccartney's youtube channel that that video was available correct correct right then that does change things that makes me wonder whether the copyright does still belong to paul uh, there, there was also the big uh, picture disc re-release that was uh, a bit of a the the Paul thing. Paul and Rupert shaped picture disc. Did uh, did did you? Uh, I bought it. Yes. Oh come on! For the like, poster, it's still on his website. I still might get it. I'm not sure. I mean, it's not going to sell out. Ah, oh, that. Let's just pretend it will. Let's just pretend <laughs> that there's only two copies left and I'm going to buy one of them and you out there, folks, you can buy the other one. You know, it's kind of like the Egypt Station suitcase. It, it sells out, but it comes back occasionally. They've got copies stashed around somewhere. We don't talk about the Egypt Station briefcase here. That is a conversation for Macca in Your Attic, a show that you should be <laughs> checking out exclusively on the YouTube page here, folks. Ed has already agreed to be a future guest in at some point. Can't wait for that. Even if he didn't say yes, I've already said it on the show here now. Um, <laughs> but to, yeah, to answer your question, uh, you know, other people ha- certainly have the rights to do Rupert films or TV because, again, I saw there was a series late eight, made late 80s, which was a co-production between UK and US and mm-hmm. and that shows up occasionally but I don't know of any streaming outfit that carries Rupert right now you know there, there's lots of archival Rupert stuff that could be put out there for people to watch yeah and it's kind of indicative of a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about here tonight uh, I think I think the mid-80s if you're going to define it as a period it's a period of Paul presenting what he is interested in, what he thinks is cool, regardless, in spite of, in direct opposition to what his audience thinks is cool. And sometimes that works in his favour, sometimes it doesn't. Um, A period of learning, I think, would be the fairest way to, uh, uh, you know, position Paul McCartney's 80s. 
and and to and to and to take that as a note one of the things that I unfortunately comes to mind with Rupert is, uh, you know, the Oz magazine, uh, mm. the underground magazine that John Lennon did do the Oz for in the early seventies. Mm. Yes. Uh, one of the things about Oz magazine was apparently they would do rude things with Rupert to, within the pages of the magazine. No. Oh no. That's, that's absolutely horrendous. But then again, I've probably said worse things about Linda here on, on this show, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pass too much judgment. They've all they've all been positively horrendous things I've said about Linda, but horrendous. <laughs> no, but, uh, none, but none, yeah, none no, uh, you, you, I've seen one or two issues, and it's like, oh, there's a Rupert in a compromising position, <laughs> a compromising position, and, and his scarf gets some use. So let's let's just leave it at that. Look, let's not go into how much liquid Rupert's scarf can absorb. Uh, let's talk about what everyone came here for, which is the iconic animation of Jeff Dunbar. Obviously, we've just come off the release of the When Winter Comes music video. And how can I not be bowled over by Jeff's work here? Like, the whole thing's just a feast for the eyes. Uh, it's it's a it's a stereotype where every frame literally is a painting because the whole thing's a watercolor. There's a real storybook quality to it that is quite enchanting, and you do feel like you are literally in the middle of some kind of bedtime story from days gone past. It is straight up just animated very well. Like you can literally see the work going into it. Like you can just see how much painstaking effort has gone in on the part of Dunbar. The movements are so fluid. I love the kind of muted and realistic colour palette. And then, you know, you come to the frogs themselves, they have these incredibly imaginative and hilarious character designs with a huge dollop of cuteness just for good measure. Like, you know, the frogs that do the bomb, 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 like <laughs> with the enormous expanding froggy throats, like it matches the sound so perfectly. It's so well done. Yeah, the animation is great. I mean, it's probably amongst the last times we're ever going to see old school Disney style animation. Disney is something I definitely thought of. It did remind me of classic animation with that kind of. You know, they are animating twice the amount of frames that a modern flash animation anime will even bother to animate. And it costs too much to do. It's overpriced. It's too expensive. And it's like this music video is a reason is not a reason. It's an explanation of why music videos like this don't exist anymore. Like this is too expensive, Ed. Like even Paul McCartney the man with a seemingly inexhaustible supply of money for pet projects, you know, you know, yeah, I'll make one hand clapping off my own back. I don't give a fuck. Like that's Paul McGonney for even for him right now, this is too much money, Ed. Like, even I'm like, you know, Paul, you needed to scale this back. Yeah. Digital animation is just too easy and too cheap these days. Do you not feel that this, uh, you can do, you can do good digital animation, but it's also a, a completely different beast from old school style animation. There's not that warmth though. There's such a, a genuine emotional connection that you can make with the animation here in this music video. And whilst 
the song is less than stellar for me. I feel that the actual experience you get from putting on We All Stand Together with the frog chorus and all the animation as gooey and silly and sentimental and over the top it is, it's still a lot of fun. Um, uh, yes, and and you have to note that this is not made as a music video. This is made as a short to be played before Broad Street. You know, this is this is more yes. akin to what Pixar does before their films. Honestly, would you not prefer to see more short films before feature lengths in the cinema? I would. Right I would. Now, the thing about the music video. I like, you know, Paul in what is somebody's attic. I, I don't know if it's probably not his. Oh, we have we we, we haven't even come on to that yet, have we? That's yeah. That's, yes. With with the Rupert doll, and then you know he pulls out his his own copy of his old storybook yeah, with his. Is, the, is that literally? Writing. Is that literally that is a copy of the mm, annual? That's and that is actually his childhood handwriting. Oh my dad's look, folks. Uh, as much as, as I rag on Paul for being overly sentimental, it's pretty cool that he manages to dig out his own childhood copy of the Rupert the Bear book because it's basically him putting his balls on the table, going, "Yeah, I like Rupert. I actually do care about this stuff. This isn't a gimmick. What do you have to say in response to that?" No one has anything to say in response to that because no one can question. Paul's love and dedication to this gimmick he's doing, I guess. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. If you do, you do. I don't particularly like the frog song, but there is so much of this fan base that is passionately in love with it that I can't honestly, in all good conscience, uh, have a go at it. So, yeah, I mean, whatever you think of the song, the 45 seconds that opens the clip and then like the the, last five seconds of Paul, you put those together, you know, that's priceless. No, and the idea of Paul uh, kind of telling us this story, it's thematically very consistent. It's very cozy. It fits the uh, kind of late 70s to early 90s Paul McCartney rule Britannia aesthetic and if anything it also reminded me of the narrative device he used in the video for waterfalls but instead of like writing the the story here he's reading it and I thought I thought that was a nice distinction at least yeah absolutely so all right I, I think I think we're about done with that definitely let's move on to not one but two versions of the next video which is spies like us Directed by John Landis. What do you do? No one else can dance like you. So what's all of us? There ain't nobody that's like us. Hey, what do you say? Someone took your plans away. So what's all of us? There ain't nobody that's
like the film? Haven't seen it, Ed. Generally haven't seen it. Uh, I've never made any effort to. I, I know I should. Is it is is it much of a a rerun staple over in the states? Eh, it shows up on cable probably once a month or so. You know, some random cable outfit. It's not a big streamer, and there there's been a Blu-ray, but there hasn't been a deluxe edition. I, I would really like to see one of those. Uh, this was actually written as uh, a Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi vehicle and then well Belushi went and died on us oh no 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 look as as a British guy that knows nothing about American 80s culture who didn't particularly like uh, Groundhog Day or Ghostbusters the Blues Brothers is legit everyone it is a film classic like there's nothing wrong with that movie and everyone involved with it is a genius but that's not what we're talking about today. Uh, for anyone under the age of uh, 79 years old, uh, Spies Like Us is a mostly forgotten footnote in the careers of Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, and director John Landis. Yeah, the fact that no one ever talks about it means obviously unsure for a gold classic. Well, and we and we can be thankful that they decided against using their original ending to the film. What was the original ending to the film, <laughs> sorry? Uh, the original ending was Doctor Strange Love. The the bomb goes off. Oh, honestly, I love that ending, but purely just because I like to picture the original Doctor Strange Love ending as Homer Simpson riding the bomb as he goes down in, into the. But air. but but to stick it on the end of a of a comedy film starring two guys from SNL with a Paul McCartney theme song, no. No, I think Broad Street would have been better if it had ended in Nuclear Holocaust, actually. <laughs> it, it would have redeemed the film, actually, I think, in, in many ways. But, um, folks, if you, if, you, if, you, if you don't remember who the director of this music video is, if the name John Landis isn't immediately synonymous to you, uh, maybe you know him from one of the top five horror movies of all time, which is American Werewolf in London which is a movie that literally scares me in my sleep as an adult. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a terrifying movie. Um, if that's not enough for you, maybe you might recognise his name from one of the top five music videos of all time, which is Michael Jackson's Thriller. And much like Thriller, <laughs> there is a full 70-second opening to this film, which is actually pretty <laughs> crucial to the music video. Yeah, let's let's uh, talk about the, the opening because it does it, it's quite peculiar. We begin. With I the, like it. Uh, there's, there's a figure in a trench coat with a hood, and then you see the face got glasses on, and then we zoom in and we reveal it's Paul with these kind of you know those fake cheap glasses where they're plastic frames and then they've got a cardboard cutout of someone's eyes with a tiny hole in the middle for you to see out of. That's what we see. It, it's very hard to explain on a fucking podcast. I'm very sorry. He, he's, he's on a bicycle and he's whistling. More, more whistling from Paul. Yeah, yeah. The important thing is it's Paul. Then we cut to a lorry or truck, as you'd say, uh, that pulls into shot. And it has the Ace Tomato, not Tomato, as we'd say, the Ace Tomato company logo, which I checked was from the movie. It is. From it is indeed movie. from the movie. And it's, and it's based on, uh, well... 
No, we're not talking about spies like us, but it, it is based on something real. Let's just leave it at that. Is that like the fake company that they get into Russia with, I'm guessing? Yes. Yeah. Then, and the government actually yes. had such a – the U.S. government actually had such a thing. So it's based on reality. Look, if there's anything to do with a conspiracy and Dan Aykroyd's involved, it's probably got some basis in truth, you know. Uh, <laughs> then out of the back of said truck – Ackroyd appears, looking shiftily in his shades, and then we cut to a quick shot of McCartney in the backseat of a taxi with a fake moustache and Groucho Marx's eyebrows. And then we cut to Chevy Chase, dressed like Sherlock Holmes in more of a stereotypical fashion than in actual reference to anything from the movie, as far as I'm concerned. Um, there's also the uh, Ace Tomato logo uh, appearing again. I'm sure it was really hilarious if you saw the movie. But, yeah, we then cut from that quite innocuous setup to a shot that, as an English person, shocked me beyond belief, ladies and gentlemen, because we cut to a shot of a figure wearing a very detailed, lifelike mask of Prince Charles, the son of the Queen of fucking England. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and, and of course, it's revealed to be Paul because who else could be the Queen of Her Majesty, who's a pretty nice girl who hasn't got a lot to say? Uh, and then the music video proper kicks in. And then this is where things diverge, Ed, as I'm sure you know, because there is more than one cut of this footage. But, yeah, what what does any of this intro mean to someone who's not a confused Englishman going, by Jove. Well, I think what they're really sort of referencing is the Mission Impossible thing, particularly the TV show, you know, not the Tom Cruise series of films, mm-hmm. you know, because that was big in Mission Impossible was everyone would have these sort of weird looking masks and pretend to be somebody else and break in and then they would rip off the mask all of a sudden uh, almost uh, mm-hmm. they parody it a lot in scooby-doo <laughs> you know the end of every scooby-doo episode that was mr jones all along yes those those kind of tv masks that conceal everything that the plot needs them to yeah i totally get that so that that that's re- really more than the spies like us film. That's what the video is referencing. Right. Interesting. I wouldn't have got that. Uh, maybe the YouTube uh, description needs to be a little more in depth there. But yeah, let's start off with what's the same in these two videos because largely the two videos are identical for the first seventy percent. I'd say. There's, there's a handful of cuts, and it should be noted that the reason for these cuts is uh, you see bits and pieces where Chase and Aykroyd are actually miming playing instruments. And yeah, the, you know what? Let let me let a British person explain this because uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the shtick of this video is that. Not only is it, you know, the main shtick is that it's McCartney on his own performing in the studio. There are so many videos where it's just McCartney playing all the instruments. That's fine. Yeah, we get three McCartneys here. Now, at, now, least, uh, at, at least three, yeah. Now, now uh, before you go on, you were talking about McCartney and his dress sense. 
three of the worst dressed Paul McCartney's you're ever going to see. You got you got the sweater vest Paul McCartney. No, you got, and what are you, no huge shout out to the uh, sweater jumper that he's wearing. Like you know the one that that's kind of like the waterfalls magical mystery tour <laughs> kind of multicolored pattern. Like that's what I need. I must. Have. <laughs> and then you got you got the sloppy sort of um, press to play looking Paul McCartney. Somewhere the another kind of mind crew is going crazy that we are talking about McCartney fashion right now. They are very happy <laughs> right now. But um, and, the, and then the third, the third. I, what what is the third McCartney? The 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 one in the sweater vest is playing the guitar. So I guess it's the bass, Paul McCartney. Must be. Uh, it's but, all, uh, it's 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 all a beige blur to me. It really is. But that's the closest to looking cool, Paul. Paul gets in this video. Maybe that's why there's all these masks. Yeah, speaking of masks, about halfway through, we cut to a shot of Paul tearing off his face mask to reveal that he is Ackroyd, and then Ackroyd tears off his face mask to reveal that he's Chase. And now in the edited version, we cut away before it hangs. But in the other version of the video, it reveals that Chevy's actually playing the keyboard. But why is that an issue? Well... Here in the UK, at the time at least, it was against the law to have a music video showing someone other than the artist slash musicians in the track being shown to play. And so, despite one of them being a fucking blues brother, the inclusion of the shots of Ackroyd and Chase playing uh, were illegal here in the UK. They were not allowed to be screened. And so... The version where you see them playing the instruments as well as a couple of other unique shots is purely unique to the US slash MTV version. Now, Ed, am I crazy or is there is a third version of this where we don't see them playing, but we also get to see the sexy blonde ladies singing as well? Am I, am, am I just making that up? Uh, there is, uh, there is an edit, but I don't know if it's an official edit. Right. Uh, now, now with reference to the, to the sexy blonde ladies, uh, one of which is Donna Dixon, who is the wife of Dan Aykroyd. Oh, and, really? Yep. <laughs> uh, they got her on the cheap. That's really funny. <laughs> well, and uh, she's known to most people from. I fell in love with her from Bosom Buddies, the Tom Hanks TV show. <laughs> oh my gosh! I didn't. Uh, you know, she, I, I, I didn't know she was anyone. To be fair, to so uh, the fact that she has some standing is particularly amusing to me. I must admit. And then, then the then the other uh, young lady is. Uh, Vanessa Angel, who is who, who was in like Weird Science, the TV show, and hasn't done much since, but she is ridiculously hot. Oh no! Like it's it's one of the few times on this podcast where I I get to fawn over someone other than Linda. I, I was like, oh, you know what? Oh, I'm, I'm a young red blooded male, and I get to fawn over some some crumpet. I was I, I was very happy indeed. And it includes it includes the uh, uh, gratuitous scene of her in her underwear from the film itself. Yes, uh, both cuts. Uh, make sure to use that scene. I don't know why. <laughs> now, Ed, just before we move on to the next video, 
you know I like to overthink things. This piece of trivia might have more impact than meets the eye in terms of not being able to show things, because the next year, in 86, Chevy Chase appears in the music video for Paul Simon's You Can Call Me Owl. And in that music video, there's a running gag in which Chevy Chase proceedingly pretends to play a bunch of instruments and pretends to sing the words. I'm not saying it's a reference directly, but I think there's a link there. But is he actually pretending to, well, he's pretending to play, but he doesn't actually have the instruments in his hand. Uh, that's the way I remember it. You know, he's miming without an instrument, but neither here nor there. As far as this podcast is concerned, I am correct. And, okay. Uh, and that link was perfectly well judged. And you do see Aykroyd miming singing behind the board. Look, just just call me out. Okay, Al, okay? I'll, 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 I'll go with you on that. Yeah. Although I'll, I'll, I, will, I will close out with the Vanessa Angel is hot because uh, Roger Ebert at the time gave uh, Spies Like Us a not very good review, but his conclusion was, <laughs> but you should go see it anyway because, well, there's one scene with the lead female that, oh. uh, any, that, that is worth the time of any red-blooded male. Look. The best thing about Roger Ebert is that since he had no bottom jaw, you can't criticize him. So you just get to you, you just get to take from his reviews whatever you want. You just get to you know what? I I will just I will just take from the fact that there's a sexy lady in this movie and not worry about the social consequences of such a statement. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, also. Let's just talk about the setting of this music video in all seriousness, because the inclusion of EMI Studios and quote-unquote real-life McCartney stuff, to me, Ed, is a lazy and cost-cutting measure. Would you agree with that, or would you say that this is more down to the fact that Landis, Aykroyd and Chase simply wanted to meet Paul and visit him on location in the middle of the press to play sessions. A, yes, they just wanted to go to the studio. B, I think they probably had the Abbey Road shot, which ends the clip, uh, decided maybe even from the very beginning. It's like, okay, we're doing this and we're doing this at Abbey Road, so we might as well film there. How many times has Paul parodied the Abbey Road album cover now? So we've done Paul is Live, we've got Spies Like Us. Is there a third one? Mm. right into Paul or nothing folks if there is a third parody of Abbey Road the Abbey Road cover at least I would love to know and don't just write in saying the Simpsons one I know that one you know what I'm on about you know what well I mean he's he's done it but I don't know as far as direct parodies of the cover I mean the, the the Martha the Martha thing was pretty much the ultimate in terms of parodying Abbey Road. No, but that, would be, and, that was a that 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 was a reference within a parody. You can't get much better than that. You really can't, unless unless maybe like I don't know. Uh, he, he was dressed as Sergeant Pepper on the front cover as well. <laughs> now, now, now I'm thinking of Ringo in uh, on Twitter a couple of years back when he put the suit back on again. 
Look, all I'm saying is no more Hey Judes. No more <laughs> Hey Judes. I'm not going to be singing it. Don't ask me to sing it. I'm not going to do it. Peace and love. Peace and love. Stop and I'm not going to And I'm not gonna play uh, Here, There, and Everywhere in your stupid movie, Paul. I'm not going to play Hey Jude ever again. <laughs> ever, ever again. And I never loved Linda. And uh, <laughs> and I never... I hated Wings Over America. No, we're, we're not... We're not we're not going to go into Beatles and Beatle wives affairs because that takes us to unpleasant places. And Jeffrey Giuliano is the most accurate guy who's ever done my biography. <laughs> and no, 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 no. We're <laughs> not going there. Uh, Je- Jeff Jeff Giuliano actually asked to be let into the when they was Fab Group, and I said no. <laughs> Um, Although he's not worth the trouble in any Facebook group. I'll leave no, it at that. No, look, look, I am I am happy to be the only access he's got to the wider world because I know because he's starting a podcast himself now, and there's gonna oh, come a, a point where he's gonna run out of guests quite quickly once he's gone through his social circle. And he's either gonna have to start coming clean with his material. And start talking honestly about his process and his writing. Now, is he going to use his real name, or is he going to use his uh, his his bizarre uh, Indian name? Um, you know, he has he, he has another. Yeah. You look you look at the books. It's like half of them were written by Jeffrey Giuliano, half of them were written by this Indian name. It's like yes, who's half, that? Half half of them are written by something something something. Yeah, yeah. Insert cancelable offensive racist joke here, and we'll move on. All right, we will. We will move on, folks. Yeah, Ed, I'm so excited that we get to talk about this song now because <laughs> the best thing about being so well versed in Beatles podcasting is that you know what what topics your guests will shine on, and. Do I pick Ken Michaels to, to talk about a hypothetical about like, oh, what if the Beatles got back together in 1983? No, I don't. I get him to talk about album reviews. And for music videos, I get Ed Chen because there is so much to talk about here, Ed. Oh, my God. this is gonna Oklahoma be was never like this. <laughs> I wish it was. I truly wish it was. Directed by Philip Davy, this is the music video for Press. Say one, say two, say three. Davey, 
is a bit of an obscurity, actually, uh, because only other IMDb listings are a couple of music videos for the band Slade uh, from Wolverhampton, where I went to university. But uh, I imagine he's one of these directors that has a lot of credits that just aren't listed. I would guess he's probably a documentary guy, just because he did such a good job capturing everything here, you know, with natural light and with uh, people around. Yeah, I don't think you have to do much work in terms of describing the overall structure of this music video. In terms of people who listen to this podcast, they've probably already seen it, but it's it, it, it's slick and it's simple. It's a well-paced trip through the quirky upside of fame. You know, Paul McCartney's on on a journey. He's catching a ride on the London Underground subway. You know, highlights including a woman running up to Paul, kissing him on the cheek. Uh, you know, we get people uh, mouthing words along to his songs. Yeah, uh, it's it, it's funny to see Paul actually have to mime his song in public. It reminds me of Broad Street, that kind of thing. But you know what, Ed? Have you ever caught the London Underground before? No, I've never been to London, so I I have to say no. I have been in the subways on New York, and it's very similar. I didn't know until it was far too late that there are no toilets on the London Underground. Hmm. So Paul had a long four hours, huh? It was just before I saw Paul McCartney. And honestly, I actually can't tell you on the podcast. I actually can't tell you what happened. It's one of the most embarrassing stories of my entire life. And yeah, you've definitely got to pay at least five pounds on the Patreon to hear that story. Yeah, Ed. <laughs> what did the uh, my, my immediate my immediate question yeah. with regards to the clip: Where did the girl with the press to play? Uh, the no, it's pipes of peace. Where did the girl with the pipes of peace shirt come from? She she she. Look, I've I've been thinking about this 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 video and how it's not what Paul wanted. It's not what the Paul McCartney camp wanted. It's not what Paul the manager wanted. And. There's a part of me that just wishes that Paul just would have paid a bunch of people to wear Presta Play and Pipes of Peace and Total War shirts and just made the music video that needed to happen. But Paul decided to chance it. He decided to let fate land where it may. And I don't think it worked out in his favour. I don't know. Uh, You know, it's good to see Paul out and about with real people and and these are most definitely for the most part i'm sure there's a couple of plants in there real people i i'm thinking of the fella at the end with the uh, open shirt and the ron jeremy mustache <laughs> i i'm a bit more cynical than you um i think there's a real disconnect with his audience at this point i feel like he wanted to be mobbed a la hard day's night but He's just not at that place anymore. And the entire premise is a bit suspect for me. Like the, you know, big, famous, rich man, Paul McCartney, gracing the peasant scum with his presence on their public transport. But he does that. I mean, you know, he uh, he rides the jitney into New York City. And uh, he, well, I mean, there was that photo which came out oh i guess maybe a year 18 months ago which unfortunately got turned into that uh, who's that little old man meme 
<laughs> you know, Paul on on a train with like one person around him. Yeah. Maybe I'm, I'm being a little bit too hyperbolic here, but you know, going back to the Beatles days, you know, Paul always said, I like a bus. I think he really does in real life when he can get out on public transportation. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's a little bit patronizing. I think it's a little bit of a smoking gun as to how out of touch he might have been at least at this period. I wouldn't call 2021 Paul out, out of touch at all. I think that would be totally inaccurate as to how uh, he deals with his audience and the public right now. But I think this video accurately represents Paul's misfire period of the 80s. It really does. It's not what he should have been going for and not what he uh, will be going for in the future in terms of this episode. And I think it's just a bit of a... A bit of a, a a whimper, really. It's uh... well, but it's it's happy and it's fun. I, you know, again, I like it. Following on from that, we have a music <clears throat> video that I didn't even know existed, Ed, until I known it had been remastered on HD on YouTube a couple of months ago. This is Stranglehold, directed by Bob Giraldi. Oh, you 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 forgot the uh, the other press video. There there is an, a press video which was actually filmed inside of Abbey Road, which clicks all of your boxes. It's cheap. It's Paul using his own stuff. It's a single uh, or just a handful of cameras, and it was something that he was filming for a TV show anyway. So he said, "Oh, okay, I'm going to go ahead and make a video out of this." I'm sure we'll cut to that version of press. Right. All right. Now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, so a stranglehold. discussed him uh, on a previous episode. He directed the video for Say 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 back in 83 as well as doing Beat It for Jackson a few years earlier. Again, folks, we're setting the bar pretty high here. Yeah, I think I need to talk about the chart performance of this song as it's probably why Non-existent? Yeah, yeah. That's why this video is as obscure as it is. But why is this video so unknown? Was it equally difficult to view Back in the day, was this doing the, the circulation on MTV at all? Or? No. The, the MTV was kind of on the decline. I saw it once and only once on the air, like in the middle of the night on VH1. VH1, VH1 was 
when in well their vh1 is still around but vh1 was sort of as mtv was getting out of the music business they kind of handed off videos that the boomers would like to vh1 yeah because you had you know mccartney unplugged and then you had tom white's storytellers on vh1 so you, know, you had every, every, everyone covered, whether you were a boomer or someone cool and hip. Yeah. So, yeah, it it didn't, you know, the single flopped, as you noted. <laughs> it didn't get air, much airplay. The I saw it, you know, I stuck a tape in and recorded like eight hours of VH1 overnight and then fast forwarded it through it. There it is. It's, that was when I first saw it. Uh, then you know it, it gets played every now and again when when they would have McCartney Day when things would come up. Yeah, Ed, or as as patronizing as you think this statement might be, that's so fucking cool. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome that you spent eight hours recording just just to get one minor obscure McCartney video. I love the sound of that. Uh, interestingly. The official way to watch this music video now, though, on YouTube, is on Bob Giraldi's own channel, not on Paul McCartney's. So perhaps, you know, might this might have been effect- something people don't realize a lot about anything done in the 80s is that the contracts were spurious at best a lot, a lot of the time. And a lot of the time it's like, oh, okay, you'll direct this thing for me. Okay, you'll do it for free. Yeah, you, or, okay, you'll do this for me. I'll do that for you. Someone does a film for someone else. And things end up in the possession of people who you might not expect. You know, you'd expect the Stranglehold video to belong to Paul, but no, it belongs to, to Bob Giraldi. And because of that, I guess we've had a different sequence of it being released to the public. The best way to watch it right now is on the HD remaster of a uh, YouTube channel called Music Room, I believe. But uh, yeah, let's get into the video itself. We open on a desert vista on a sunset. Uh, there are loads of part trucks with a sign that says Cactus Club, special guest tonight. Wonder who that could be. Uh, we cut to a man looking at his watch as another truck comes speeding up with Linda in the passenger seat. And then a little boy uh, tries to get into He's not so little. He's, he's probably early teens. 13, 14. Like, I, yeah. def- I definitely got karate kid vibes from this kid. Like, he, you know, like he, he could definitely be the lead character in a 1986 movie. Like it's, it's perfect casting in that sense but we cut to inside the bar the band is playing and the song we hear just as we slide over the heads of a a bunch of middle-aged men is move over busker which yep that how ed how cool is that come on well i mean you're you're gonna you're gonna pretend it's a live show you're playing a song before the song so you know no, come on. I want to hear the last six notes of, of Footprints or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that wouldn't go over very well in that club. Bum, 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 bum. You know, <laughs> oh, that weird pipe solo, that, that would have been incredible. But yeah, 
um, you know, we see the so, so in the intro, world. we actually get some other music. Yes. Uh, like yeah, a, the, a, another song. The interminable intro if you're just waiting for the song to start. No, there, there's going to be more than one example of a weird song starting off a music video here today. But yeah, uh, amidst the, the waving arms, we hear the opening riff of Stranglehold. And what made me laugh, Ed, was the fact that the crowd started to cheer as if Stranglehold is like, I want to hold your hand or back in the USSR or something. They're like, woo! It's like, it's just Stranglehold off press to play, folks. Like, calm down. Like, no one, like, I know you're paid to pretend to care that Paul's playing this song, but even, even his biggest fans are like, all right, oh, whatever. You know, <laughs> this isn't the biggest song ever. Although if, you, if you've seen the footage uh, that Paul did at that little club outside of uh, Old Cella, you know, they react very strongly to some weird song choices. That's just Paul McCartney fans, though. It is. Uh, uh, well, that's tr- actually, that's not entirely a, a McCartney audience because, you know, people had to get there and get the tickets and they gave away a significant number of tickets to, you know, just people who were around. No, the the authenticity of the audience is not entirely accidental there. Yeah, I'm not talking about in the for the video shoot. I'm talking about for the hundred club show. Oh, not the hundred, not the hundred club show. The, you know, Paul periodically goes out and does these little shows. He did the one in London at the hundred club, and then he did uh, uh, I forget the name of the club, but there's a there's he did a you know, two hundred three hundred person show in a club outside of uh, Old Cella. Like, you remember when uh, at the at the Coachella site when the the Stones and Paul and again vintage artists showed up. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's a pun somewhere where I can pretend that the fireman is the man that ran into the the uh, the, the fire at Coachella a couple of years ago. So anyway, so <laughs> so, so yeah, the, the 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 boy who's carrying a, a saxophone in a saxophone case. No, come on. The 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 story for this music video is classic '80s spiel, and I'm not sure if if uh, if if you saw this connection here, but to me, it really reminded me of the Smooth Criminal music video, where you know you, you know the kids are looking in at Michael dancing in his in his white and purple outfit. Maybe. I can see that. And they're looking in through the window and like, oh, what's going on here? What's this adult world? but the adult world won't let them in. I kind of got some vibes going there. But it's, it's so interesting that, that, that this music video is an image that Paul McCartney is presenting to his audience here because this is supposedly the awkward decade, the weird decade. You know, there's six to nine years of him being kind of uncool. And yet it's kind of presented here as if, Everyone thinks Paul's cool. Everyone thinks Paul's pretty damn wicked here. I love that bolo tie, you know? No, but like you feel like you'd want to be here at this gig, which is something that's not really presented in any of these other shows. Like, Paul is sweating here. How cool is that? We even get um, close-up shots of Eric Stewart, the guy who co-wrote this fucking song, and... I just think that this music video is really cool. Actually, I think I, I I think it's really fun. Yeah, no this this is one of his all time best videos. I mean, 
this comes close to like the say 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 video mm. uh to me at least and and i you know linda looks good and i love linda just sort of taking the boy and oh he's with me and you know yes bringing him in no, that is a fun moment because it's like, oh, of course, Linda, the mother figure of Wings, would take in this this young boy and help him get through this 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 surly bouncer. You know, um, she's clearly playing a version of herself here. But <laughs> I just I just love the way the music video goes full uh, ridiculous when the kid not only gets past the bouncer, but then Paul McCartney notices him and invites him on stage to help <laughs> play. Well, the- yeah, he, he, he unzips his horn and he gets to the front of the stage and he's playing his horn. I can wait back in the moment. Yeah. I can wait, I can wait. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like Paul's going to miss that. Like, oh my God, this is from the we better get him on stage with Abe and... And uh, Brian and Rusty and <laughs> wrong band, wrong decade. <laughs> no, um, actually, most of those guys aren't McCartney guys. Yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't really recognize many of the faces there in that in that show. I'm I'm sure they were all famous to someone though. Yeah the the other thing about filming that video was they had to go punch holes in the roof of. Uh, that club in order to uh, get the shots that they wanted. Yeah. I heard they did quite a lot of damage and had to pay for all of the repairs. Just Yeah. They, they, they did, you know, they, they did send in a crew after them and uh, they got a nice new roof out of it, but it's, it just amuses me that, Oh yeah. Okay. Here's some money. Just, just punch holes in the roof. No, Unfortunately, no, uh, rain. We are going to see throughout the show that, there is no expense spared for Paul McCartney music videos, at least in the 80s, anyway. And now, Ed, we're going to come on to a music video that I've known about almost as long as I can remember, really, because it's just one I've known about. I'm not going to say I've loved it. I've just known about it. Uh, This is the music video for Pretty Little Head, directed by Steve Barron. Steve Barron has an incredible credits list to his name. First of all, he directed Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, as well as Coneheads, another Dan Aykroyd production. But his work has basically been defining the 1980s aesthetic 
with songs like Take On Me by Aha, Money For Nothing by The Dire Straits, Billie Jean, Michael Jackson, he's in work for The Human League, David Bowie, Madonna, he's done it all. And because of all this elsewhere success, his work with McCartney's kind of, I wouldn't say forgotten, but it's been relegated to a lesser status. And it doesn't help that it's not all that good. Do you not? Uh, okay, okay. Ed, do you not think this video holds up as a, a work of art? I really don't. Uh, Interesting. You know, uh, oh, do go into detail, my friend, please. The, the, I like them starting with She's Leaving Home, and that's fine. And that also sort of points the way that McCarty is going to go in the next two decades. What, what, you mean use Beatles to his profit? Yes. <laughs> then, then the clip itself, I don't get where they're going. You know, uh, you got the girl and you got the parents fighting. I think they kind of did that much better a little bit later uh, when they get to uh, Flaming Pie. You know, the 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 kids and the parents fighting and the rain and all of that. Here, it's kind of Eh. That's very interesting, yet. We've come to an impasse here, my friend. Um, but you know what? You know what? Let's let's dial it back a bit. Okay. Well, before we get into the video, which is your preferred edit of Pretty Little Head? I just like the standard one myself. Good lad. No, Ed, this is why I love you. This is why you're my favorite guest to have on the show because you're a clever man. Because you're a clever guy and you make clever decisions. No, um, I've always felt like the uh, was the Richard Potoka or Poker version of Pretty Little Head. Uh, no, John Potoka. That's it. The version of Pretty Little Head. I, I find it to be quite interminable compared to the regular version of Pretty Little Head. Uh, and it all feels a little bit too been there, done that. We, we're kind of made to do this because it's a, a part of the establishment. Let's, let's, let's just kind of shit on this kind of song. It's, it's, it's McCartney doing kind of awkward, obscure stuff but not to the point whereby he's getting uh, pop culture recognition for it. Well, I mean, you know, Biker Like an Icon works better as a song about similar subject matter 
Oh, then... Ed, you are just saying all the right things. I'm going to be doing my off-the-ground episode with Ken Michaels uh, tomorrow, actually, <laughs> in, in less than 24 hours, and <laughs> I agree with that sentiment entirely. But let's, let's just break down this music video, because... Um, yeah, we start off with She's Leaving Home from 1967's Sgt. Pepper. And it's it's played over this kind of one shot of a, a house on the coast in, in the middle of nowhere. And it's all done in black and white. And it's actually really quite creepy, isn't it? For such a kind of heartwarming, life-affirming song. Yeah, I mean, you've got the parents in the kitchen... And again, why is there rain coming through no, the door? No, Ed, come on. That's probably the standout shot of the video for me, actually. Uh, you know, so the little girl, the, the, the main character of the story, she, she looks on to see her parents fighting. And I think every single human in the world can empathize with the idea of looking on and looking at your parents fighting with each other. It's one of those universal McCartney images. And rather than just having them shouting, they emphasise the violence of this argument through the fact that a literal storm is happening in the kitchen as they're having this argument. I think it's really effective. I think it's a great image. And not only that, but the dad is played by uh, Roger Lloyd Pact, uh, or Roger Lloyd Pack. Uh, who played Trigger in Only Fools and Horses, a very famous sitcom here in the UK. And I'm so glad he was able to be a part of that. And actually, uh, a lot of you might actually know him as uh, Barty Crouch Sr. from the Harry Potter film series. Hmm. But um, despite the fact that that particular sequence isn't particularly well shot or edited, just the drama of it all is is so powerful and the film kind of slips into a magic realism mode at that point like uh it goes on kind of full expressionistic and surrealist with its imagery like the girl leaves her bedroom she packs her things she leaves her house and then suddenly all of a sudden uh, we get a, sp- a special effect that we're going to see used throughout this episode today which is the colorization of black and white footage uh, the briefcase that's suddenly surrounded by a block of colour, uh, objects of significance, uh, certain elements within the frame all get colourised. Now, this was years before the effect would be used, well, much better, I must say, in the film Pleasantville. I thought you were going to say Schindler's List with the girl in the red coat, because that, to me, is what was most significant there. Yeah, that's that's true. But uh, what they're going for, I think, is more like Pleasantville, you know, particularly with the rose as it color as it went into color and all of that. Anyway, and no. more recently, maybe even WandaVision. I am sure McCartney was directly referencing one of the most horrendous moments of uh, human history, and not WandaVision. <laughs> well, obviously, Wanda, obviously, WandaVision would not exist for another 30 years. Look, look, Ed, I know that you and me could easily go into, into an MCU dis- discussion right now. I mean, I right now am still crying over the, over the fact that classic Loki dies in the fifth episode of Loki because uh, that was really emotional for me. 
Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, so so we get back to the clip. The, the the girl the girl leaves home. You know, it's it's off of this windy, rocky landscape, and then we get to uh, to a train, I guess. Yeah, like so. The girl in in the, in this video, she gets to a very nineteen eighty four esque world. It's very bleak and dark and grey and depressing. And then we get all of this imagery in this kind of monochromatic world, in, including uh, what the Club Sandwich article calls the ant people who are pursuing her through this kind of dystopian landscape. Uh, you know, lots of men who are literally, like, you know, the world is all in regular kind of uh, colour saturation. But then there are these figures who pursue our lead character and they are all entirely 100% within black and they contrast directly with the, with the environment around them. It's very scary. Yeah, you, you actually see them sort of reflected off of the train that she's on. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it's all very unsettling, I guess is the best word for it. And uh, no greater example of that is when they appear out of the the hamburger that is left on the ground. The, uh, the yeah, she gets she gets to a so she gets into the, into this random city, and it should be mentioned that we do actually see Paul. Uh, we see Paul in a frame, and he's sort of around looking yeah, over this girl. We will sepia tone. I will get to that shortly. That's a very interesting image. But uh, do you think the burger usage has some kind of veggie connotation to it i don't but it i think it's a secondary uh purpose paul might mm. said hey i like that yeah i like i like, I like the idea of a piece of meat-eating detritus being a bad guy yeah no i i could definitely see the uh the uh metaphor of paul working to his advantage there but um yeah, the um, we do see throughout the video a lot of these shots of Paul in this kind of large video screen and these big TV screens. It's very Orwellian. It feels very 1984. And Although he would go back to that. Uh, I'm thinking of the, the Ue La Sole video where Paul sort of pops in in that video game environment, which, again, we'll get to soon enough. Which was actually originally meant to be a part of this episode, but then we realised that um, we don't review 30, 30 videos at a time. Well, let's see. We're, 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 we're two hours in, and, well, we're, we're getting close to the end here, but still, we're, getting, we're, we're two getting, hours in at this point. Yeah we're, yeah, we're kind of close to the end of what we were originally planning to do. But, um, yeah, this was 1986 at the point of recording so it's not impossible to think that 1984 would have been in the minds of everyone involved but uh apparently ed according to the club sandwich article i think it's issue 47 or 48 something like that the image of paul in the tv screen was entirely computer generated the screen was the the video wasn't yeah i was gonna, was I, I, I was gonna say whatever the fuck computer generated means at this point uh, you can kind of let loose, I suppose. <laughs> well, again, this and and all of the colorization was done using paint box once again. The same paint box that we referred to uh, back in the No More Lonely Nights clip. Onto our 
penultimate music video of this evening well we we have to we have to we have to close this clip uh you know there's a little bit we haven't done so so the girls the the girls uh belongings and and her jacket and an uncomfortable rape analogy i think uh, sort of happens as the ant people uh steal all of her things yeah, that's just I, I I think that kind of weird analogy is just part of the nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties aesthetic, I think. Uh would then then Big Brother Paul blows blows out through the through the video screen and she gets all of her stuff back. Not sure what that means at all. Uh I'm I'm sure if you got Paul into a, a dinner type situation, I'm sure he would explain all of it for you but uh ed let's uh let's talk about the final music video from the press well we, again we still haven't finished oh, this oh, oh, no, oh, oh, no, the, the very end of the clip hang on um oh, no, no no um just just uh cut that last bit out uh just just start it as if i hadn't said that last okay. bit. yeah yeah well and, and then then we go into the very end of the clip where we learned that it might have all been a dream she's back at home in her bedroom and her Parents are happy in the other room, watching telly or something. Yeah, that that's a very Paul McCartney image. No, no, don't, no, no, don't, don't worry. All all that stuff you were worried about before, yeah, it's not real. Don't worry. <laughs> it's all now. Fun. There, there's a scene where the ant people should have come back in at the very end. Oh, you know, like wakes thriller, up in her like, bed. you know, yeah. with the eyes, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. She wakes up in her bed and then. And her parents are happy, but the ant people are still there. And the ant people are still there. Yeah. The ant there is no other term for those weird figures other than the ant people now. I think that's the official moniker for them. But did you not want to do once upon a long ago? So I was gonna do Only Love Remains and the two versions of Once Upon a Long Ago. Okay, all right. Cool. And then that's that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And on to our penultimate video from the Press to Play era, which is only only love remains and if you take your love away from me i'm only gonna want it back i'll probably pretend i didn't see but knowing have the director listed for this music video but fortunately our good friends at the Paul McCartney Project did and he goes by the name of one Mr. Morris or Maurice Phillips aka the chap who did the video for Tug of War which we mentioned earlier now the single for Only Love Remains did a little bit better than the other post-press singles for this album but that's most likely due to the 
other live recorded performances of this song, the first of which was on the UK TV show The Tube, and the second of which was the 1986 Royal Variety performance before the Queen of fucking England herself. Right, Ed. I remember you saying off-air that you had forgotten that this track was done... Sorry, that this music video was done in a single take. So how well do you feel like Paul and his team pulled off this trick? I think they actually pulled it off, but before we leave the live version, uh, the version on the... The version on the tube features a very special guest singer with them. Carry on. Uh, who's the boss's own, uh, what's her name? The other blonde. Let's have a look. I, I, I have actually no idea who, who this is. Uh, who's, well, who, the... who's the boss? The, the Tony Danza sitcom. And she's also in Transparent. She does a good job in Transparent. I just forget her name. Uh, Judith Light. Who? Okay, let's 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 do that again. Uh, so the the very special guest singer in here, along with Linda, mm-hmm. is one Judith Light, best known to most of us through the uh, Tony Danza sitcom "Who's the Boss," and more recently in um, Transparent. Oh, the Amazon show, right? Yeah, yep. And again, nothing too special about that, but it's it's kind of. Kind of cool. Apparently, she uh, is. She has some relation to Paul's cousins. Interesting. I love the concept and the artistry behind the the single take. Um, we'll get into the execution shortly, but the idea that this is all done in one single camera movement that begins on Paul playing the piano before physically whirling through all of these live vignettes is. It's brilliant. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's very reminiscent of you know if you think what behind the scenes at Saturday Night Live must look like, that's exactly the same thing that was going on here. You know, you got Paul running around and, he, and he's got to go go run and do a quick change and then hop back on the piano. Oh yeah, no, it it, it felt very much like Birdman or nineteen eighteen these very modern films, but here Paul shows us that he is able to be a part of the classy, well-made filmic pieces like this. And as impressive as all of this stuff is, you know that this has all been done very precisely, very specifically. This is this is Paul. It probably took them longer to rehearse and film this video than it did any of the other videos in on this show. Come on, this is this is them doing twenty takes, thirty takes. This they, is like four. It's like right. four days between rehearsal and actually filming it. On the fourth day, you must be going absolutely crazy. Just like, come on, let's film this already. And they do it. They do film it, and it's completely forgotten from the Paul McCartney discography. And it's it's like, so gorgeous, though. It is, isn't it? And the full orchestra and, you know, and it, it has to make you a little sad. You know, you see old Linda in, in this clip and it's like, she never got there. Yeah. Um, there's this thing about this clip that 
annoys me in the sense that Paul insists upon portraying himself in this kind of 50s, 60s working class attire. And firstly, it's just plain offensive that a man of such opulence would cosplay in such a, a sense. But it doesn't reflect the working class that he's trying to appeal to at the time. Well, I mean, it's more his dad than it is him. Yeah, it's I him. Mean, it's, it, yeah, no, 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 that is... That is entirely correct, Ed. He's trying to appeal to his dad's generation more than his own, to his own detriment. And he he looks much he he looks much better now than the actor playing McCartney. Uh, what uh, who would have been you know ten or fifteen years younger than he is now? Definitely, there's a a very a, a very weird disconnect but but the, yeah. like you say just the just the fact that there is an old linda and that we know that linda never actually got to make it to old age is a little sad yeah no you are totally right there and you know having the images of paul spotlit at the piano and linda harmonizing at at her keys and the whole orchestra together with the with the chorus i'm sorry with, with the costume change and all of that happening live in camera. It is hard not to get a little bit nostalgic for all of this period, you know? Now, the song, while I like it, I can see a lot of people who say it's overdone and that it's it's a sappy ballad. No, do you not think that there's a, a, a certain amount of ambition here with this take? Like, is, is this the official... Uh, press single take or is this a, a unique music video mix of the music here well it was a, it was a separate mix which was issued as a single wait so there was so there was only live remains the album version there was only and then there was remains. a single version and then this is the single version so this is the single version though it's not like a separate single version or anything okay correct all right I kind of like that. Uh, uh, you know, Linda's backing vocals are particularly good on this. I love the roaring 80s saxophone and the the fact that it ends on the you know the proper a proper 80s fade out rather than an orchestral lull is particularly invigorating, I feel. But do you like the song though? Not particularly. I feel like the music video is probably more interesting and more well done than the song itself. Um, I could see that. Uh, you know, uh, be, just because the music video is a nice little work of art. A hundred percent. And does it stand as a unique work of art on its own? Probably not. Uh, but I don't mind that at all. Whereas the song, okay, you know, you like it, you don't like it, but it, it's more or less another McCartney ballad. Our final music video today, though, folks, is one that I regularly cite as being one of the worst single representations of the McCartney discography. So let's see how it affects the videography. This is Once Upon a Long Ago. Well, I mean, it was a leftover song that Paul just sort of resurrected to put something out on this greatest hits collection. And you can tell, you can certainly tell, Ed.
scales and broken cords, puppy dog tails in the House of Lords. Tell me, darling, what can it mean? Making up moons in a minor key. What are those tunes got to do with me? Tell me, darling, where have you been? Once upon a long ago, children searched for treasure. So, who do we have here? We've got Mr. Mike Ross, and he was a first and foremost designer of album and single sleeves, uh, 200 credits to his name alone, on Discogs. He did the cover for What's Been A Long Ago and All The Best, which makes sense. Clearly, he's one of these artists that McCartney certainly had his eye on in this period. But also, McCartney is co-director of this uh, do you do you even consider co-directing with Paul McCartney is an actual thing, or do you reckon Paul McCartney directed this and Mike Ross helped? Um, well, I think McCartney gets the co-director credit because he did actually sketch out all of the animated segments, and then he also uh, worked out what the transitions would look like. I think all the rest of the real human being stuff was not directed by Paul. And I mean, he's in most of them, so. Yeah, it's actually quite interesting how involved Paul is in this project. Uh, there is that famous picture of all these frame-by-frame drawings that he he wanted for the animation. It's very crude, but it did remind me of that magical mystery tour script wheel kind of thing. And it, it's definitely got that kind of McCartney uh, simpleness to it. And also his uh, Abbey Road, this rough sketch of the Abbey Road cover. I mean, you know, that's... That's how he draws. That is exactly how he draws. And I think there's a certain charm to it. A lot of people will probably think it's a bit naff and tatty, but the fact that it comes out as good as it does uh, is proof in the pudding, I guess. Although we do hear a lot of talk about the the, uh, transfer points between the animation and film. And that is the main selling point here, like the way that they blend Jeff Dunbar's animation and the black and white footage of Paul playing on top of this hill. It's all very interesting stuff, but we need to quickly get out of the way the, the, the fact that there are innumerable versions of this song online available. I think he did at least three on different programs all around the world. So he appeared on Vetendas. La Telethon and Going Live with live versions of this song. We're not going to be talking about them, but just in case you might have got confused, we're going to be talking about the two uh, proper music videos here. And the only real differences between the two uh, are what animations used and when and what shots are used. It's a little bit different than, say, the No More Lonely Nights videos from earlier, where they were different projects. These... These are more different cuts, different takes, I guess would be the more accurate phrase for these videos, right? Yeah, it's much more uh, like the Spies Like Us clip, having two different edits for mm. various reasons. Although, you know, I'm not sure why there are actually two different edits other than Paul may not have liked one thing or another out of the first one. No, the uh, the 
the two different videos side by side together look more like a director's cut and a and a and a cinematic cut. Like there's no actual you get a little more live changing action in the second one. Yeah, but it's not like he's changed the plot or that there's That's a, true. a significant uh, image change or anything. It is literally just oh, let's just see how this pacing with the editing feels. I guess and. I don't know about you. The it's the original one that I prefer. Uh, more animation. Yep. Yeah, there's, the there's animation, more animation. The animation well. is fun, although it's also kind of a little bit cheesy. Yeah, let's get onto the animation because we've already spoken about Jeff Dunbar here today, and I'm not even so sure that I would even guess that this was Jeff Dunbar if I hadn't been told in the first place, and. I know the budget's going to be smaller and he's going to have less time and effort to put into it, but you can tell. And this looks like the Saturday morning cartoon work of Hanna-Barbera rather than something by not Walt quite, Disney. Not quite that bad, but they did they, they did very much rush it. And there are stories, there's a club sandwich story where uh, it is mentioned that like the day before was when they were able to do lock down a final edit. Bloody hell. That makes a lot, a lot, a lot of sense. Uh, there's a real slapdash quality to both of the uh, Once Upon a Long Ago videos. Um, I like the puppy, though. Did, the character designs are hideous. I've just, like, like, big, no, big, eye, big eyes and, and Papa and, and the kids and, and Mama in the snow. But, but I like the puppy. Yeah, you, you 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 can clearly tell that Paul off camera's like, yeah, this looks great, and like everyone else around him is going, Paul, this actually looks really terrible. Can we say dynamite weed? Look, we, we've already spoken about the idea that this is a period where Paul is presenting what he thinks is cool and what he liked when he was a kid, and he's also presenting stuff that he's kind of interacting with his children through. But here. This, this is pushing it past vanity project now. And it's like, you are actually just legitimately damaging your image right now. Like not only are you wasting your time with children's animation, something that you know very little about, clearly you're doing it very badly. And it's, it's just so clunky. Like even if this animation was very good, there's 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 all this time spent about talking about oh you know Paul was there he wanted every shot to be perfect and the transitions to work those transitions don't particularly work it's all quite all over the place but that doesn't apply to when they animate over the live action I think that's actually done rather well and probably should have been the focus for the entire video because uh, folks if you, if you haven't seen this in the video towards the end the black and white monochromatic footage slowly gets colorized and like so paul gets like pink strings on his guitar nigel kennedy gets purple strings on on his uh, violin and then chris Whitten gets these like red drum toms it's a it's a it's a fun little image but it very uh, much fits in with the uh, advertising campaign that came out for all the best if you remember that you can find that on youtube you know where yeah. paul is sort of surrounded by animated uh what we would call icons nowadays they actually look quite a bit like iphone icons they do look like app icons actually it's quite that's quite, that's quite funny there's also that bloke at the start of the video the one that, that's described in the uh in the, the janitor yeah he's described as an old codger in club sandwich which i which i, I thought was quite funny but 
it was nice to see that old man appear in the Vettendars uh, performance of, of this song, like Paul's live on stage. He gets a bloke to do some sweeping. And I'm like, okay, that's a fun little connection to the video. But what's the point of it being in the video in the first place? There seems to be a fixation that Paul had on like old working class men at this time, you know, like average person and it's not on. And then you got the music video for Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey in, you know, like there's just all these weird Paul's obsessed with middle-aged blokes, period. Yeah, there was a link somewhere which probably just got forgotten about. Oh no, the link's probably just, um, I, I miss my dad. And, you know, well, there's there's nothing wrong with that. There really, there really isn't. And, of course, I mean, that's that's the sole reason why the old Vic scene is in the No More Lonely Nights video. You know Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the guy's named Jim. Come on, Paul. You wrote the script. We, we don't need 30 minutes of of a Paul at his old family pub in uh, in, in, in one hand clapping. But my gosh, we get it. <laughs> oh no! Sorry, in the James Paul McCartney TV special. Sorry, close enough. Close. Only enough. only one of those was actually released, so you know. Yeah, there's um, a VHS of one hand clapping going on eBay right now, and I'm like, oh, I can't justify that. I can't. It's going to be so expensive, and I can't even play it if I do get it. <laughs> Speaking of uh, the live footage for this, though, what do you think about the actual black and white stuff here? The uh, the B plot. I actually I, think it, it it looks good. Uh, you know, it's there's there's no plot. It's <laughs> Paul gets Paul Paul gets up on a hill with the band Paul, Paul and they start playing. Paul's spending a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, it it also cost two of his crew's knees as well. Like this, apparently, it was quite dangerous getting all 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 of this stuff up there. As cliche as it does, it it really reminded me of the music video for uh, "I Disappear" by. Metallica, you know, where they're all on top of those mesas in like Devil's Canyon or Devil's Valley or, or, or whatever. It's like that, but on a very uh, reserved British level, I guess. There was also talk of apparently Paul would refuse to have a safety rope around his ankle just in case. Yeah, they, they, that, that would not have been good had Paul fallen out. Could you imagine? Could you imagine, like, oh, bother, oh, nineteen ninety something? Paul, Paul, Paul McCartney falls off cliff. Oh my god! Like, you know, pe- people always say, oh, they'll they'll never let Mark David Chapman out. I mean, there would just be thousands of Beatle fans just hacking away at a mountain. It would it would not <laughs> be a pretty sight at all with their with <laughs> with their picks and axes and stuff. What are your thoughts on the idea of perhaps? recutting this music video and just have it entirely be the black and white b-roll footage i'd like to i'd like to see them do it you know i'm sure there's lots of good stuff totally totally there is something in the vaults that they are not letting us ever have access to i want i want to be privy to three hours of footage of paul in a really unflattering boxy black overcoat doing where does that where does that go there's not an archive, you know, there's never going to be an all the best archive box. So, <laughs> oh my God. Like, and then you get the, the archive box and then you get all the little, uh, you know, you, all the little app signals and signs and stuff. And you get all of them in little coasters and fridge magnets and stuff like that. Oh, 
you could get so much tat into an all the best archive set you really could well this was actually released at the time separately yeah there was there was a there was a vhs and and laserdisc we were talking about laserdisc (laughs) called once upon a video which came out as a companion to all the best and that had a bunch of videos on it right uh well at four i mean you know Mm -hmm. are we gonna call that a bunch it had the once upon a long ago clip it had the stranglehold uh pretty little head and uh uh, McCartney version of We All Stand Together, not, not the full animation. The fact that that they don't put press on there as well is very annoying. <laughs> like, oh, come on, guys. It's just it's, it's just one more movie. We're nearly there. Come on. Yeah, what Stranglehold and Pretty Little Head have to do with all the best uh, is kind of beyond me. We All Stand Together was actually on that collection, right? Yeah. Like, if, if, if they'd have put press on there, you could have at least, like, grouped it in with, like, a you know, a date or something like that, arbitrary as it would be. Ed, I think I think we've actually come to the end of the videography there, dude. Um, we have now gotten through the awkward 80s of Makani, and now the next time we come back, we will actually be starting with My Brave Face, and we'll be going right through all of those videos, and it's just hit after hit there, at least in terms of uh, <laughs> stuff for us to talk about. And well, rip into. I mean, you know, considering <laughs> everything that we've talked about this evening, it, going to my brave face uh, is going to be a fair relief, even though I like a lot of the clips that we talked about tonight. No, I'm, I'm, I didn't loathe anything tonight. There wasn't anything as particularly terrible bad as Paul doing with a little luck or any or anything like that you know uh nothing as egregious uh, shall we say but there's there's definitely been some some stuff today that I've been actually quite pleased that I've seen going back to Pretty Little Head was definitely a, a trip I definitely wanted to see how that held up and I'm glad to see that we gave Stranglehold and Press a fair a fair shake as well well, I you know I, I I still don't think the press video is all that bad. You're you're not a fan, so yeah, uh, you know, that's that that's what you're here, Ed. You're here to uh, temper my 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 horrific tendencies. You know, no, no, I'm not. I'm not like uh, Ken Michaels overexcited. You know, I'll admit, even though I like it, the disco No More Lonely Nights is just horrendous, but I still like it. I can I can hear Ken go now. You know what, Ed? We'll 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 just have to. Agree to disagree, I guess. (laughs) Yes, we will, Ken. Yes, we will. And we'll be disagreeing in about 10 hours when I have you back on this show as well. Oh, here we are. We've done it, Ed. Thank you so much for coming back back on the show, dude. I I am so happy that I've got you to help me through all of these music videos consistently now because I think I would have been driven mad by now, but you you are here to keep me safe and look after me. So thank you so much. Well, and the listeners will never know exactly how long it took us to finish this episode. No, um, the, 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 the number of Paul or Nothing episodes that are actually recorded in two slots uh, is, is far more than I'd ever be willing to admit live on air. But Ed, where can people find your show? What's happening with When There Was Fab and what's happening in the future? Well, When There Was Fab is... Back online, you can find us uh, where where you always where you will have always found us at uh, when they was fab.podbean.com. Uh, as I mentioned way back at the beginning of this show, uh, Lonnie Pena is no longer a regular co-host, although we we do hope to have him back now that he he's actually been exiled from California. 
styled. No, I hope Lonnie comes back because there there was a lovely rapport you you guys had. Um, well, he's, I, he's not going to be he's not going to be back regularly, but he you know I think I can probably convince him to to come back occasionally. He he also knows John. Yeah, try and try and try, try and get Ethan back on for an an episode or two as well. I did I did enjoy them as well. Well, we won't talk about the the Ethan Alexandrian experience. The Ethan years, <laughs> the, the uh, Ethan but, years. But but I I will say uh, you know if you haven't tuned in since our uh, forced hiatus, which you can hear about at the beginning of the show, uh, John Stone he's a good guy. He is a he spent a long time in his career as a professional musician and his Beatles knowledge is excellent. Interesting. I will be listening out for the uh, new phase of the John Stone, the John Stone experience. And he also uh, is in the midst of writing a novel, like so many of our friends in the Beatle world. Oh, I mean, if you own a Beatles podcast and you aren't at least claiming to be writing a book then what are you doing you know i mean you know you, you, you don't have to finish it you just have to say you're writing it and go to starbucks and look like you're writing it you know but he also lives in tyler texas and well let's just say there's not a whole lot else to do in tyler texas no uh, especially when everything's bigger in texas as well hopefully not the uh, 12 inch vinyls as well uh, <laughs> <laughs> in, indeed so all right great thank thanks for having me yeah no thank know. no thank thank you for coming ed uh, i'm totally in in your debt here and i can't wait for this episode to come out it's it's gonna be a right laugh so thank you so much dude. and i i will i will try and get how many episodes of fab were you on by the way uh, you were on at least two at least I know I was on the the, the nineteen seventy one one, uh, where we talked about like Ringo's uh, first albums and stuff. Okay, yeah, that was a two parter, and we did at least one other one, didn't we? I thought it was just the two parter I was on. Okay, uh, but I will I will make an effort to actually re edit re edit time <laughs> takes out of. Uh, you know, you know what? I will, I will let you know when this episode's coming out, and maybe we can sync, sync, synchronize something. Who knows? Because it all, it is always a good thing to get the classic episodes back. It, uh, for those who remember the era of Johnny Carson, they wouldn't, they wouldn't just call them reruns. They would call them the best of Carson. Really, that's awesome. Hi, oh, yeah, exactly. It's, it's. He would take Monday night and Friday night off, and they would just. The reruns they would run, even if it was like last week's. Oh, here's the best of Carson. Ed, thank you, thank, thank you so much for coming on, Paul. And I think I'm sure we'll have you on very shortly. And all the best of luck for when there was Fab. I hope it is back on its feet and bigger than ever as soon as possible. Thank you so much for well, coming. Well, we're, we're getting there, so perfect. That's just what I like. I like. I like to hear, folks. That's a, what we call a can-do attitude here on Paul or Nothing, folks. We all need the same. Uh, I've been Sam Wiles. You've listened to Ed Chen and me ramble on, as it were. Thank you so much, folks, for listening to Paul or Nothing. I've been Sam Wiles. Keep listening to Paul. Play us out there.